Welcome to End Almost Starring, the show where each week we take a film and break down the casting, including who almost starred. I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And considering how dark this movie is, I'm both surprised and relieved that that goat made it to the end credits. It's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. For better or for worse, out there is a universe where it may seem bizarre, but they were almost starring. Amy Joe, how are you doing today? Jeff, I'm great. It's it's nice we got some we got some pals here. We, I'm really excited sure about we got some pals to discuss Hunchback with us. Uh, today we've got Caroline Ametti and Connor Perkins of Poor Unfortunate Podcast. Hello, hello. <laughs> Welcome, guys. <laughs> yes, thank you hello. for the air horn. Hello. <laughs> Yeah, we rented that air horn special just for you both. <laughs> I want to enter everywhere with an air horn. That'd be lovely. <laughs> one, one should. One yeah. should. Uh, it's so, so great having you both. You got, we got some uh, Disney experts, Disney super fans. Like, how, how would you both uh, classify yourselves in regards to Disney? Nerds. So. Yeah, someone in a in a review called us Disney junkies, and I feel like Ooh. that uh. that also fits. Yeah, mm-hmm. that because yeah. yeah, it's kind it's, of it's, it's, it's kind of a problem. drug. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we know and care more than one probably should. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's safe to say. Yeah, <laughs> that's I think that's a matter of opinion. Okay. Some might say, and uh, I think uh, as all the people that listen to your podcast would would say that there's it's no such thing. No such thing as too <laughs> too much Disney. Uh, but we're so glad we got you here today, and because uh, we gave you an option of of two, a few different films to talk about, and you picked Hunchback. Now you you guys are big fans of this film, yes? We're like moths to the flame with this film. Yeah, I, like I, we I, can't I, stop talking about this movie on the podcast. We're like, like, we have to stop talking about Hunchback. I feel like to say that we like this movie is like the grossest understatement because, I mean, I was <laughs> I was texting Caroline about this movie today because I was watching it and um, I was just like, Caroline, this this watch through, I cried more than I think I've ever cried through it. <laughs> so it's just like, ah, oh, shit. This movie does stuff. <laughs> Just keeps deepening. Oh, it does. It do- I, It was a struggle for me not to cry all the way through. We were like mm-hmm. 10 minutes in and I was like, poor Quasimodo. Truly. I know. Um, so let's get into it, y'all. Uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame came out on June 21st, 1996, and was directed by Gary Trousdale and Kirk Wise and written by Tab Murphy, Irene Mechie, Bob Zudeker, Noni White, and Jonathan Roberts. What is everyone's experience with Hunchback? We're getting uh, a little bit from you guys already, but like, what's, what was your first time seeing Hunchback? So uh, let's start with Caroline. First time seeing Hunchback. I'm pretty sure that my first time was once it was on VHS. Um, mm-hmm. And my strongest memories of it are just also one of my memories. We've talked about this on the pod. In Disney World, there was a Hunchback of Notre Dame stage show um, that came out pretty quickly Mm. after the movie. And I remember that really clearly, too. And I feel like that made me love the movie even more. But I was, like, immediately attached to Esmeralda. Like, I got the Esmeralda dress-up kit, like, stat. I had an Esmeralda plate. Like, (laughs) that I was fully in it. Um, And, yeah, so it's, like, together with the stage show, I think that's why it really captured my imagination when I was younger I loved it I loved it 
That's great. Yeah, I, think... I, I ooh, sorry, I was going to say, I totally Go forgot for about that stage show until you just mentioned it. And <gasps> now I remember seeing that. But what I, the memory that I remember from it is because in the movie, uh, Quasimodo is like rescuing Esmeralda. Is like, all right, we're going to go over. He's like, have you ever done this before? Is like, nope. And like, now we're going to go this little scene of scaling the walls and sliding all down. But in the stage show, it was like, have you ever done this before? No. And like, let's go down this step ladder because we can't do much more in this 30 minute show. He we wasn't don't have wearing the a wire. He was not. There was not a big action set piece in this uh, 30 well, minute stage show. Uh, which I've never they forgotten. did light the puppets on fire, which yes. was awesome. I don't I was remember like, that. There was pyrotechnics. Oh my, they had like puppets of the like village, like outside Paris, like with the windmill and everything. Oh and no. And they took real torches with real fire and they lit that shit on fire. And I was like, am I going to do theater for my life? Maybe. <laughs> what is their puppet budget that they could be lighting these puppets on fire every show? There was something have, in the water. Oh it my. was incredible. The Quasimodo <laughs> would also be flying when he would be ringing the bell. The actor would be flying through the air like his full body weight carried by the bell. It was wow. it was amazing. The it's best part on was YouTube. the confetti though. <laughs> yeah. Cuz uh, you get the conf- they blow out all the confetti afterwards mm-hmm. and Car- <laughs> Caroline's family and my family both saved the confetti in a scrapbook. <laughs> it's shaped like bells. It's amazing. Oh it's wow. So love it. I love love that little extra detail that <laughs> the confetti is shaped like mm-hmm. bells. Uh Connor, your first time seeing Hunchback of Notre Dame. What's your experience? You know, I I think I was a I was definitely a not I think. I was definitely a VHS kid for the first time that I saw it because I was 3 when it came out and I do vividly remember that my older sister who was 6, she either got like taken out of school or something like that by my dad to go to like the fancier movie theater in our area to see this movie and I was not having it because (laughs) i didn't get that treatment and i was super upset but like quasimodo was like my guy we had hunchback of notre dame sheets we may or may not still have those bunches (laughs) um we had like plates um my dad would like call different foods like this is gypsy spaghetti so that we would eat it like it, it was like worked. very much infused into our lifestyle. That's um, my favorite. So amazing. Yeah. yeah. But you wouldn't touch the Frollo fries. It was like, I don't want anything to do with those. Get them back no, here. no, no, thank you. <laughs> That's amazing. That's uh, because uh, I'm a little older. I think I was, uh, this came out in 96. So I would have been. Uh, nine when it came out. So I saw it in theaters, but it was it was a one and done for me. I saw it the one time in theaters and then again for this because I, I just had never revisited it, but I'm so oh, Jeff, glad that I did. Who hurt uh, you? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, maybe the movie as a nine year old. Yeah, it was like, come on. I, it was well, Tony J. It was Frollo. It was Frollo. It was Frollo all along. Uh, Amy Jo, is a, I believe you had a similar experience. I, as me. I did. I will see. I was uh, twelve or thirteen when it came out, so I was. I came of age in the like late eighties, early nineties Disney mm-hmm. Renaissance. Mm-hmm. So like the experience, Connor, that you're describing is much more like My Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. Aladdin kind of thing. You know, I mean, like putting on putting on Little Mermaid at every sleepover. And dancing through the entirety of the credits, you know. But mm. I remember seeing it in theaters. So Hunchback, I saw in theaters. And I, I remember 
very little about it overall, except for I remembered the fireplace. Uh, I was like, um, that's seared into my memory. <laughs> and I remember us getting out and my mom being like, oh, Disney, they really walk the line uh, there with uh, how much they want to horrify children. I was like, yeah, I was a, a teen and I was like, I'm horrified. I think it makes, I mean, it seems so obvious in retrospect, but to look at how they followed this up with Hercules and, and mm. Mulan. And we were like, Mulan has like war and has like hundreds of people get murdered, but it feels so much lighter than this film. It's like, <laughs> so you know, that's why lighter. it's like, we gotta, we gotta give you the dragon. We gotta give you the grasshopper. We gotta give you the horse. We gotta give you as many Harvey Firestein and drag. We gotta yeah. give you like, keep it light as possible with this film. It was like bouncing back between, okay, here's some puppets hanging. Uh, okay. Here's some skeleton men crawling out. It's like between what's, what's like, uh, actually scary for like a child and like what's actually scary for me yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, to me what is bananas is the few times that they try to i mean all of jason alexander it's like the, when they when they try to be like we can be comedy aren't, aren't we still funny gargoyles singing a wacky love song even though you're just like but she's not in love with him this As is just setting us up for burning a down here. i know my As favorite thing is like where he's like the city of paris is glowing this evening true it's because it's on fire yeah but yes. still there's L'Amour. lighting like, a sausage <laughs> can i tell so you my my favorite good. part in this in this viewing just because so much was so new to me i have to tell you my favorite part of the entire experience and i'm gonna back up from the mic the bells of Notre Dame. I was like, you are not gonna option it up, sir. But he does. Sir. There's, oh. there's a there's like a TikTok where someone deconstructs like all of the times that you can never ever option down. And that is like the number <laughs> one moment in musical theater history where you cannot option down. You have just- to option up. It's been such a like ah storytelling. I have a nice voice, and then you've got all the the orchestrations and everything, and all the townspeople underneath, and then suddenly this guy. I was like, this is the biggest flex I have ever heard, just because I didn't expect it, because none of it was in that octave. Very <laughs> thrilling. I was relieved it happened again at the end, and then we had to go back to the beginning. I was like, Jeff, I I have to hear it again immediately. It's exciting you because you can hear feel him. your body separate from your soul and yes, ascend. Correct. And you can hear incredible. him being like, okay, I'm about to sing it. Like you can almost feel it that he's like, here I go. <laughs> like, yeah, during well, the whole how- like the bells, 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 yeah. bells, bells. Like, you're yes. just like, oh. <laughs> But you can also hear that they've mixed him down. So how mm-hmm. how hot must that be oh, in person to hear that like live? Woo! Mm-hmm. None mm-hmm. of the people in the recording studio had faces after that. Yeah. No, they were gone. Just melted, melted away. Off. Melted away. Melted It's full on away. Indiana Jones, just like. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what was actually inside the Ark of the Covenant is just Paul <laughs> Candle as Clopin singing the end of Bells of Notre Dame. That's what it is. <laughs> right. You have Harrison Ford and Karen Allen is like, don't listen to it, Marion. Just cover your ears. <laughs> it's too good for this world. Oh, so good. Oh, my God. All right, let's let's get into it, guys. So, spoilers ahead. If you have not seen The Hunchback of Notre Dame or haven't seen it in a while, here's a brief-ish synopsis. Uh, and as the word gypsy has a very complicated history and is considered, some people are reclaiming it, it is considered as a slur by many, uh, we're going to use the word Roma uh, mm-hmm. as to describe. Esmeralda and, Esmeralda and the, the, the Romani people. Uh, so, 
In 15th century Paris, Clopin the puppeteer tells the story of Quasimodo, uh, before screlting to the heavens, uh, tells the story of Quasimodo, the gentle-souled bell ringer of Notre Dame, who has lived his life sheltered away in the bell tower by his master, Claude Frollo, the minister of justice, which I love that they're like, okay, so evil is now considered cool because you've got like Ursula and like Gaston, you've got like such like fun Jafar. villains. Jafar, Scarp. Less so with Governor Ratcliffe, but uh, he still he still rocks that outfit. I must say, uh, <laughs> he's a fop. But like, like he has his like gold moment where he's just like yeah. sliding down a mountain of jewels. Like, all right, you may be you know committing a little bit of casual genocide, but like, all right, li- it's not the catchiest song, "Savages, Savages." No, um, no. This, was, this was really pulling a one eighty to be like, we want to make sure no kid walks away from this like liking the villain. What's or and wanted to dress up as the villain. Maybe I want to go into whatsoever. government. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a judge now. <laughs> things to be my way uh oh boy uh and we get in this of course he like kills quasimodo's mother just like knocks her down some stairs and almost throws quasimodo down a well in the first five minutes <laughs> i so quick they so really quick. came out swinging with mm-hmm. this one you know well frollo came out swinging uh okay, much okay. too okay <laughs> quasimodo's mother's chagrin Aww. uh now, flash forward 20 years, he's he's a 20-year-old buck, this Quasimodo now. Uh, <laughs> during the annual Festival of Fools, Quasimodo, cheered on by his gargoyle friends, Victor, Hugo, and Laverne. Wink, wink. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> uh, decides to take part in the festivities where he is celebrated for his appearance and then humiliated by the crowd. A kind Roma woman, Esmeralda, defies Frollo's orders and frees the hunchback, following him back inside the church. Frollo sends Captain Phoebus to arrest her, but as Phoebus has instantly fallen for Esmeralda, he tells Frollo that she has claimed asylum in the church. Quasimodo helps Esmeralda escape Notre Dame, and she entrusts him with a pendant containing a map to the Roma hideout, the Court of Miracles. Frollo discovers Esmeralda has escaped and instigates a citywide search, which involves bribing and arresting everyone and then just setting the like what seems to be the entire city on fire. Yeah. We, we were yes. watching this and, and I was definitely drawing the all the Sweeney Todd parallels. City on, um, I was just going to yes. say that. Between that also, and, and Hellfire being like, I was like, I might as well be like, Joanna, yeah. Joanna. Like it's oh. an evil judge, creepy character who like becomes obsessed with a woman and can't deal with it. So and everything has to burn. Part where Quasimodo started becoming a professional barber and started shaving all the faces of everyone in, in, in Wood Paris. Watch. <laughs> but uh, what, also what when he's singing Hellfire, they're literally chanting mea culpa behind him, oh. which is exactly what the judge mm-hmm. does in Sweeney Todd. Uh-huh. But also, can we talk about real quick how fast that windmill went up in flames? Like, so it went fast. from, like, barring the door, and then it was just like... <sighs> yeah, that that windmill was made of gasoline. <laughs> they do not they do not make these structures anymore like they used no, to. <laughs> now, I have a similar question about Notre Dame itself. Like, how rickety is this place that everything's falling apart? You step on one thing, goodbye. I was like, that's a stone. You can I cut stone know. with a sword, apparently. Quasimodo <laughs> literally pulled down multiple columns <laughs> from the center of the cathedral. He had a full Samson moment. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, this structure is still standing by the end of the film. How? <laughs> These yeah. gargoyles are falling and crumbling apart. <laughs> well, they then do pour molten, what appears to be like molten lava all throughout. Mm-hmm. That's true. Around Notre, Notre Dame, around the, the church. Uh, yeah, it's it's in tatters, this city, by the end of this film. Uh, it's it's rough. Although, you know, Quasimodo, he does break all those columns, but he's very strong. I think he could put it all back together brick by brick. He's, yeah, you know. and they do. They must do it very quickly because by the time they all go out at the end of the movie, everything oh, looks yeah. fine. There's yeah. no molten lava anywhere. Not even dried. It's not all like right. a volcano. <laughs> they, citywide cleanup in France is like... <laughs> Better than it's ever been. Their infrastructure was really popping. Like, they're really on top of it. What happened? There was just, like, one nice rainfall. And you know what? That's that's, uh, just washed all of that uh, molten lava (laughs) Dried lava rain. It it had, like, a Lion King moment where the rains come and they just Mm -hmm. make everything better. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, or, you know, gargoyles, they're made of stone. They can probably, can stone withstand lava? I could see, like, all those gargoyles be like, no one's looking. They're, we're going to sweep up all this magma. Oh, they or would. Or maybe yeah. they eat lava. Maybe. I was it wondering in the beginning. The Jason Alexander uh, gargoyle, Hugo, I believe, he's going to spit does he see like a mime or a clown? I forget. Yes, I think mime. it was a mime he joke. A mime. It's always a mime joke. It's, 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 the, it's the 90s. We had a mime joke. He sees a mime. <laughs> yep. He's going to spit. And I was like, what is he gonna spit at that mime? Is he gonna spit lava. pebbles? He's gonna lava around the whole time. Uh, that's what they got all the lava from. Is that's just what gargoyles? He could just like be spitting again and again to <laughs> exactly. fill this vat of lava. Uh, I would not be surprised. Uh, Frollo discovers Esmeralda has escaped. Oh yes, uh, sets the fire to the city. Phoebus defies him. Frollo orders him executed. And Phoebus gets struck by an arrow uh, and then rescued by Esmeralda and taken to Notre Dame, where Quasimodo is heartbroken to discover the two have fallen in love and they're making out in front of him for quite some time. Also, he must be quite ill. Uh, And yet the arrow just missed his heart. It's not like she's coming down to smooch him. He's like, I can sit up. You know, which to me, I was like, dude, you need to save your energy to (laughs) this is you don't have like stark, clean medical conditions happening right here in this belt hour. And Quasimodo has a whole on like soliloquy, like reprise moment in his head. And they're making out through the whole reprise and he's there and he's just like holding on to this wooden rafter for like dear life and he's just like this could be esmeralda and it's just it's so sad but when the shot pulls out it's he's so much closer to them than you originally thought that he was uh, yes like, and you're like, he's standing and you're right like, there are they really not aware of what like, is happening right here because he's having a moment yeah. right he's, there. He's he's like he weeping. sobbing. Yeah, he on the same weeping. carpet. Yeah, on the same and carpet. Getting it on. They do not care. No. It is <laughs> awkward. They are Did making they babies to over be there. Saved? Who knows? It's it's a toss up. It's a toss up. Although that's that's how much mileage you get out of getting Kevin Klein yeah. for Phoebus. If like you got to have. You know, your lead does not get the girl, but she's going to a quippy Kevin Klein. It's yeah. then you're like, ah, well, if not him, then Academy Award winner Kevin Klein. That's yeah. <laughs> so true. Uh, yeah, and Phoebus, yeah, almost shot by an arrow. Or that's the power of Esmeralda makeouts, is he's like, now he's ready to go. It's like, okay, I'm good to wander around and now we can go. Quasimodo they... has to literally drag him under a table, but then yeah, kicks you know... him under the table and then <laughs> takes he's a quick like, nap. He kicks ready to his go. face and it's 
Yeah. Like probably one of my favorite parts of the whole movie where she's like, hmm. And it's like, it's not subtle, but I'm like, with the way that we are meant to believe of how strong Quasimodo is, like that probably should have like broken Phoebus's neck. Yeah, and, like, like shattered his solved. cheekbone. Well, now here's, here's what I thought. I was thinking that Quasimodo skips leg day. How strong are those legs? Because the arms, that's what he's holding Phoebus up in yes, the air. He is. The arms, that's he's fair. pulling down the statues, but... I don't know. The are, the legs aren't as jacked. I don't know. If I, one kick from Quasimodo is sending calves, him into hellfire. He, he had does, some okay. calves some that calves. were working for him. <laughs> He's got. I was watching the movie up, and I was like, know. his calves are kind of like my calves. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then in that case, Phoebus should end the movie with like a broken nose at least from getting kicked in the exactly. face. At least, I mean, just some also logic. like. He's only being held together by like some wine and some like casual thread. thread. So like, <laughs> he he's not doing so great. No. But no. he just is like, we need to go help her. And it's like, yes, dude, yes. you're supposed to be unconscious right now. Yes, because uh, Frollo claims that he knows where the Court of Miracles is and that he's going to lead an attack in the morning. So Quasimodo and Phoebus, they rush there to warn everybody, inadvertently leading Frollo and his men right to them. Rookie move, rookie move. By Phoebus, too. Phoebus is like, let's yeah. go, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, how does he not see that? Can we work Well, the for that arrow guy? in the chest might have... Uh, right, affected his affect brain. His, his, Feverish, uh, yeah. yeah. Have they not yeah. seen any movies? Movies. Yeah, I guess not. Do you not get any movies there in the 15th century, you big dum-dum? Uh, Frollo prepares to burn Esmeralda at the stake, but Quasimodo rescues her and with the longest rope I've ever seen that he swings down all the way to her and then like back up the castle. I'm like this bungee jumping. It's like, like my also stomach. like one of those trick ropes where like it looks a lot shorter than it actually is. And you're just like, where is all this rope coming from? <laughs> Little do we know it's coming. all his hair because, you know, his barbershop business that he's opened up. He's just yeah, braided them all together go. into this rope. He's like, For if ever I need day. A gal, yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna save her from a funeral pyre, from my foster dad, who wants to marry her slash have her, uh, and I'm just gonna I'm, that's what I'm gonna use it for. That's that's how it happens. <laughs> wow! And what are the odds that all that came true? That that's what he prepared for, and that's like, all <laughs> I know he fell into place just like that. Although that's an excellent point that there is like who's is Frollo cutting his hair? He probably is cutting his own hair. And saving it and braiding it into uh, a long little bungee rope. I think that all tracks. I would think he'd be using it for townspeople hair. Um, you right. would think just to give him a little oh. more, the models a Good little point. more um, realism. <gasps> give him tiny, tiny Human wigs. Human hair. Can Ooh. you imagine, though, like walking in there, like if you were just, you know, some rando person who took a wrong turn in Notre Dame. You walk in and you just see this like dollhouse of all these wooden figures that you are like yourself carved and, and painted, you. but he they like all a- have real hair on them. And you're just like, <laughs> I, I not did like I? It. the door slams shut. This is where you live now. Uh, and then he's just yeah. like, you're not supposed to be here. Like, no, <laughs> I can tell. Uh, but yes, Quasimodo rescues her, brings her back to the cathedral. Phoebus releases the imprisoned Roma and rallies the parasitizens against Frollo and his men. Quasimodo and the gargoyles pour molten lead onto the streets to ensure so no one enters. So much of it. So much. And now we thankfully, is this like the first time that we actually get confirmation these gargoyles aren't just in his imagination? That they're actually physically helping out? Because I think everything before this, it's all it's only just Quasimodo. Is like see, Every time someone else comes, it's a real Calvin and Hobbes and they go like, boom, and now they're stone again. Uh, which I liked knowing that like okay so they are real in the world and this isn't just one more nail in the coffin of poor quasimodo's sad sad life 
Uh, I think the the goat sees one of them. That's right? true. That's true. But if to be fair, it is a goat and not a person. I get it. But uh, I get that, it. that is true. Jolly the goat. Jolly uh, is fully fleshed out. Jolly has yeah, that's a, an arc MVP <laughs> character for me. MVP <laughs> character. This goat is great, and also so cute. this might be the best disguise I've ever seen. To have a goat on your shoulders <laughs> and a smoking and a pipe over both of you, <laughs> and the goat beard is like an old man beard. Uh, Incredible yes. disguise. Ten out of ten. Uh, man, we, how long do you yeah. think it took to train Jolly to smoke a pipe? I don't think very long. I wouldn't think so. It seems I, very clear. I would guess half an hour to train the goat to smoke a pipe. Maybe that three days fair. to train the goat not to piss all over you while it's on your shoulders. <laughs> that's that's my guess. That sounds right. Uh, Frollo pursues Quasimodo and Esmeralda to the balcony where he and Quasimodo fight. And Frollo falls to his death into the molten lead after one more gar- gargoyle that just like starts glowing like into his face. And might as well just come to life and go like boo as he falls down. <laughs> Uh, and afterwards, Quasimodo accepts that Phoebus and Esmeralda are in love and gives them his blessing. And the two encourage Quasimodo to leave the cathedral into the outside world where the citizens hail him as a hero and accept him into society. And we get one more reprise of Paul Candell scrolling to the gods Ugh. about those bells. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Uh, the casting director of The Hunchback of Notre Dame was Ruth Lambert. Lambert also cast the majority of Disney's films from the mid-90s into the early aughts, including Pocahontas, Mulan, A Bug's Life, Monsters, Inc., previous episode, Toy Story, and more recently has cast the animated shows Harley Quinn and Rick and Morty. So she is still oh, going oh, strong. Wow. Thank you, Ruth. Thank wow, you, Ruth. Ruth. Also, Ruth, if you are listening and looking for anyone, hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so let's move on to some of the actors who were almost cast. And some of these people may have auditioned. Some may have just been discussed by casting. This is all subjective. And as always, I have looked up all the actors in advance. And Amy, Joe, Caroline, and Connor will be hearing it along with you, listener, for the very first time. I'll probably be the most fresh on this, though. I have a feeling you all just know things by virtue of knowing things <laughs> that I have. I'm not saturated in the world like you. <laughs> I know See, one I major think- story. I know. I'm excited for I, it, but that's all I know. So I don't think I know a whole lot about Hunchback because Ooh. I just sort of have taken this film as, you know, Disney animated gospel. And I'm like, there's nothing I need to question about this. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'll, I've accepted it. So Amy Joe, I think we might actually be in more of a similar boat than you may think. Nice. Nice, 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 nice. Uh, so let's start with that titular character. Let's start with Quasimodo. Uh, and we'll start with you then, Connor. So uh, thoughts on Tom Hulse and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? Um, well, thoughts on Tom Hulse, perfection uh, is I, the word that comes to mind. I mean, w- one of the things I'm going <laughs> to say right right now is that I feel like uh, maybe this is the wrong podcast for me to come on and talk about this movie because I <laughs> truly believe that like all the casting is like spot on for this movie <laughs> and I love it 150%. So, I mean... I feel like the only possible way to improve Quasimodo, like, is if you cast me. Um, <laughs> that is a valid I, this is the, option. I think it's the first time you've ever had anyone, any guest or us, ever just just pitch yourself. Shoot your and shot. I think that is a baller I mean, move. 
I, I, you know, if if not me, who? So that's that's, that's, how, I'm, that's how I'm going. <laughs> that um, is fantastic. But, uh, and, and, completely... and and I forgot to and I forgot to preface it. And as always, like uh, you know, it's it's just for fun. And it's also like it, if Tom Hulse said no, Tom Hulse was busy that year, so literally we couldn't. So it's not about like who be better than who we for got. Sure. Uh, it's all for fun. Or if it's like made today or made you know in ni- in ni- the 1950s version of Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm. uh, be removed from time. It's all just for all just for laughs uh but i ace out of the gate just to cast yourself (laughs) um but i i do have a couple other options that i could feasibly see if tom hulse had said no i i think that they probably would have had to find someone else to do the singing voice but i i could have seen sean astin doing Mm, uh doing a nice quasimodo sort of situation and then you know live action version josh gad is going to be producing the live action hunchback of Notre Dame. And I mean, so I don't, I don't know if he's going to do the part or not, but that remains to be seen. I don't know how I feel about that one way or another. Um, Cause yeah. you know, as I've said, I'm, I'm kind of gunning for moi. So <laughs> <laughs> as Piggy would say, as Miss Piggy would say, <laughs> yes yes i love that yeah I've, I've heard about this new uh right now just titled the hunchback is like the yeah. working title that he's producing and i assume he's got to be wanting to star in that and i don't want that i'd much rather have you connor i don't i'm dumb i don't want that josh Gad. Thank although you, that feels Jeff. like he's like i'm your olaf i'm your lefou mm-hmm. and it's like really just like i'm i'm until i can get my chance get my like big splashy lead you know uh, and I, I, there, there are worse options than Josh Gad, but I feel like there are better options. Yeah, but that's me. That's me. People Connor for what he does, I think he's very talented. But I don't yeah, know. He's that like extends textbook to No, my God, yes. yeah. Yeah. Now you want Josh Gad to be your horny gargoyle trying to bang a goat. There now, you oh, go. Yes. Yeah, he yes. should do that. And I can see him being like, I'm not going to continue to be playing these like <laughs> wacky characters. But, you know, that's where I see Josh Gad living. And that's me personally. I know. He uh, was probably like, Murder on the Orient Express. This is going to be my big break. And- oh, I, I'm going to get an Oscar nomination for this one. <laughs> oh, I swear. Oh, Joshy Josh. Oh, Joshy Josh. Uh, Caroline, what about you? Thoughts on Tom Holson? Yeah, if Tom Holson said no. I'm so sorry. And we need you to cast someone else. So I do know one of the other possibilities for the role. And I can't get it out of my head. So let me skip mm-hmm. over that for a moment because it's just stuck in my mind. Because I could see it working. Um, but I love Caroline, the story. and don't say me. Obviously. <laughs> obviously, Connor. Um, <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> what I really said was, and, and, and like, no, no hard feelings, but I just said not Josh Gad. Um, that's pretty much what's on my list. Um, and like I've heard people, I think this is more just fans talking. I've heard people saying Ben Platt, and I don't know on that as well. Um, again, like I'm sure that he would be like, this is my moment. I'm going to win the Oscar for Quasimodo. But uh, I love, and it depends on what they want to do. If they, let's say they did a live action. With the state, with the fully done musical that almost made it to Broadway, didn't make it. Um, some versions have had Quasimodo be deaf or hard of hearing because mm-hmm. of the bells. And mm-hmm. I would be down for that to happen, for a deaf actor to play him in the film. And then to have maybe singing voice, whoever that would be, be, you know, in his mind. Um, and I did hear 
Jeremy Jordan sing a version of Out There on YouTube that I thought was really amazing. So if we're just going singing voice, I could definitely be here for that. That's so fascinating because <laughs> Jeremy Jordan uh, is normally not someone I want playing uh, a, a character who is more than just really good looking. Um, <laughs> but... The guy can sing. Yeah, I've had several friends do different productions, um, part of hearing and, and deaf actors. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, you know, that, I just know like there's some incredible uh, deaf actors, certainly in the musical theater community. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I can't get that out of my head either. Yep. Um, because it's just, I think, like, it's dramaturgically sound. It's so, it's and, so yes. clean. Oh, man. Yeah. It makes so much sense. And having one of the gargoyles on stage do the singing voice is just brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, totally. Mm. Yes, you, you just reminded me because uh, Michael Arden yeah. is, was the... Quasimodo in in that production, the mm-hmm. stage version that almost went to Broadway, uh, who I saw in, we, me and Amy Joe saw in uh, the recent Broadway revival of King Lear as the aide to Cornwall, because they had a deaf actor as Cornwall, as Cornwall. Uh, and, Russell, and, Russell Harvard, who's also in the end of uh, There Will Be Blood, is like as a film goer is what I mainly know him from, as the grown-up version of Daniel Day-Lewis's son. Oh. Uh, right. Well, and then in the ensemble, who's clearly also covering that actor, is my friend John McGinty, who has played Quasimodo in, in a couple of, of mm. productions as well. But yeah. But that's what you just made me think of. Like you had Michael Michael Arden, who's beautiful singing voice, but you have got like, okay, Russell Harvard as Quasimodo, and you who already worked like beautifully with Michael mm-hmm. Arden uh, within King Lear. Uh, but I love that idea. I think that's a great casting. And I also love the idea of not Josh Gad. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, no offense, Josh. No, but, no, offense. You know? no, no offense, but no, 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 no. Uh, and Amy Joe, Amy Joe, thoughts on Tom Hulse and who would you cast? It's so funny because I, you know, Tom Hulse having a very, um, like a wide career, but to me, very um, not limited. It's just like it's it's not like he's like Kevin Klein that I've seen in a million things. So when I think Tom Hulse, I've seen Amadeus way more times mm, than I've ever seen them. Um, oh, but so yeah, what what a wild uh, performance! Mm-hmm. But like I, I think one of the reasons he is quite successful in this part is because he is not immediately recognizable like Kevin Klein. Like, that's the point, right? Is that it's not like, oh my gosh, Tom Hulse, you know, mm-hmm. whose voice I can't help but hear. Like, I think it works really nicely because he's it's not a celebrity performance, even though obviously he's a very well-known actor. Um, so I, I didn't have a lot of other thoughts because I was just like, one of the things that I like about this performance is that it feels more everyman in that way and there's not a lot of swagger to it which also considering Amadeus I think is quite a feat Um, because I think it's really hard not to kind of like throw your weight around when that's like a thing you can do really well so I don't have any other options particularly because I was like I think it should be a a voice actor more than someone whose face I can immediately think of when I hear it you know like Kevin Klein I'm sitting there looking at this blonde guy like (laughs) 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 ah didn't know you had a kid Oh my gosh, that line is perfect. That's so <laughs> I know. Their, their entire <laughs> first meeting is just like that's pun, pun, that, honey. Yeah. That script is just so solid, mm-hmm. especially in that moment. It's also, so really tight lyrics by Stephen Schwartz, who I will say I, he's not normally my favorite lyricist, right? You know, this is um, some of his best. I think I've work talked on this. Ever. I, it's just 
Topsy Turvy and oh. Bells of Notre Dame, like those, like those quick rhymes. I was like, "Ooh, this is we are going Heaven's Light into Hellfire." Like, oh, yes. oh, oh, oh my god! Like I, this may or may not be, I think my favorite Alan Menken Stephen Schwartz score. Mm-hmm. It's a real good one. Yeah, it's a real good. It's one. It's really beautiful. The collaboration works really well, and and yeah, that's the thing is like we talked about Enchanted several months ago and like i love enchanted please do not get me wrong but there are some lyrics in there that uh, feel winky in a way that feels um i don't want to say lazy but just not incisive you know whereas these all feel like this is the best version of the lyric that could exist for this song which is really hard to do and i don't i don't always feel like schwartz like consistently hits it but this this score is just like Ooh, and it's heartbreaking and and I, it's really strong work. So good, yeah. good job, he, Stephen Schwartz. <laughs> Stephen, we know you're listening. The, he uses the word licentious as a lyric. So like, mm-hmm. you win. For kids, you, for kids at the end of the day. Yeah, like. <laughs> but Amy Jo, I love what you said. That's what I say for Quasimodo, swagger free. That's the requirement. Yeah. Swagger it's a, free. such an unshowy yes. performance and I think so and it's such a beautifully beautifully well done way and a beautiful collaboration between the voice actor then and then the animators on top yeah. of it you know mm-hmm. I remember watching Lord of the Rings special features as I have been known to do <laughs> and they were talking the Gollum animators were talking about like well we are actors as well in the way that we animate we have to be um, and I think about that a lot when I see something like this where it really is like taking the what the voice actor did and then like supplying the other half of the performance. And it's, there's it's one, what, I think it's why it's so devastating. Yes. There's, this is what caught my eye this time. There's one, I forget if he was singing when he was doing it. He was at his little work table with all his figurines. And there was something about the way that he ran his hand through his hair, but in like a very bashful way that I said volumes. I mm. thought it was wonderful. One of my favorite things that like Disney does is they, will i mean at least i know they do it with with many movies but i've seen the drawings that they did where they had the lead like animator for elsa in the recording booth like in the or the recording mm. room with adina menzel mm-hmm. sketching out her face as she was singing some of the songs and like the sketches are incredible because they're almost exactly what ended up like being wow. in the movie it's incredible it's so cool it's so cool that's great uh, did you did you have any other casting options, Amy? Or no, you I, got nar, nar. I have a lot more opinions about villains. Great. So. Understandably so. Understandably <laughs> yes. so. Oh, also, like, so I work at the Atlantic Theater Company, and Tom Hulse has done like a lot of work with Atlantic in the past. Mm-hmm. And I was working very early on at the front desk, and Tom Hulse came in, and it was like the most magical thing ever. I'm like, you are the celebrity that I feel like no one else here really knows who you are Mm -hmm. and I am like losing my everything inside of me (laughs) as he's walking I'm like you're Quasimodo you're Quasimodo I'm like oh my god and he's like um can you tell me which way is studio three and I'm like I can tell you which way studio Uh, three one two four it's out out there (laughs) oh my god you should have said that all of them I'm like oh my god can you imagine I would have started oh god no that would not that would not have been good (laughs) sorry I had like a delayed processing of what you just said (laughs) oh god oh god oh that's a love that that's amazing yes because I've seen him like 
he was producing some show at the Tonys because I remember that they cut to him in the audience and I was yeah. like, what's Tom Hulse doing out here? No, I, I think it was Spring might... Awakening. I think it? you're right. I yeah. think it was. I'm pretty sure Spring, he, he produced the uh, the original yeah, Spring Awakening. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't, um, so he doesn't so do a whole lot of acting anymore. He's no, no, which is fine. He said he's, he's producing now and I'm sure it's less, you know, less uh, strenuous. Less, less, and honestly, less strenuous. if I have the career that Tom Hulse had by the time that he sort of like gave up on acting, I'd be like, I'm golden. I played like, Quasimodo I and I played Amadeus. Like, I'm set. I'm thank you. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's so funny because same as you, Connor, Sean Astin is the person that I had if, if I couldn't <gasps> get Tom Hulse. And I don't know if he can sing, but just from like the tone of voice, I was like, yes, just thinking of thinking of Samwise, old thinking of Samwise mm-hmm. Ganji uh, mm-hmm. is what I would want back then. Ah! Um, and I had today, I had Jeff's pick. I win, yeah. right? <laughs> ding, ding, ding. ding I won. You win. I win. Uh, <laughs> all right. That's the end of the episode. Connor's won. Dang it. Amy Jo, Caroline, thank you for playing. You're both uh, you're both losers. What can I say? Uh, but I said not Josh Gad. <laughs> oh, actually, no. You So you, Caroline, you win as well. Amy Jo, with no picks. Well, you goodbye. are an automatic loser. I guess I've been um, kicked off my own podcast. <laughs> uh, but made today, the people that came to mind, I'm also thinking... I, I keep thinking vocally. Yeah. Although I think any of these three, I would love to see uh, in a live action as well. Nicholas Holt, I could see. Cross my mind. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, St- Stephen Yoon, uh, because he's also he does a voice in Tuca and Birdie, which uh, is coming back. I Netflix canceled it. The show with Ali Wong and Tiffany Haddish. For those who've not watched, huh. uh, so like, and his voice in that is like. I, it was just a, a, a lightness to it, and I think he's a beautifully emotional actor, Minari, and so many things now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Riz Ahmed, because I love Riz Ahmed and everything. And this, yes, oh. and there's certain like vocal quality mm. that I could see. Don't know if any of them can sing. Um, huh. but, that's, but that that's hasn't stopped that Riz Ahmed one just broke my heart to me a more. Bit. Yeah, yeah, Riz. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Tom Hulse was cast as Quasimodo following his first audition for the role. Only one audition, and they they were like, "We're done. This is one and this done. is great." Mm-hmm. Uh, although throughout his audition, he was kind of put off or a little nervous because he noticed that everyone was just staring at the floor, like no one would look at him. He and he, he said that it looked like everyone was at a memorial service, and then he noticed that the floor is lined with all the storyboard sketches oh. because they mm. like to audition the voices with our eyes closed, so we see the character's face, according to the director, which mm. I thought makes sense, but is also like, you. Don't, I guess as an actor, it's like, okay, I'm just gonna stand here. I don't gotta <laughs> actually do anything. I'm just gonna. Um, vocalize everything because you're not actually looking at me. <laughs> That's so funny. So Caroline and I, Car- Caroline and I, actually met on a production where I was the dialect coach, mm-hmm. and like that is how I will coach when listening to a show. You know, I remember doing a show one time. I worked on Kinky Boots, and when the tour company was put together, and I like sat through one of the run throughs or something, and and uh, one of the actors was like, "Oh gosh, I wish like they just let, like you didn't have to." work like you just enjoy it i was like number one i've seen i i've seen this a million times <laughs> but also i was like i can't turn it up i'm supposed to be listening like mm-hmm. let me just like i don't need to watch it i'm sure you're very funny but i need to like hear because if i'm if i'm taking in less visual information it actually helps me up huh. what you're doing orally you know mm-hmm. and helps me focus on on like one less thing um so that's really funny i'm basically uh a, a disney uh you're, animator you're a disney you're casting the director of pretty much <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I, I, I basically am Walt Disney. Yeah. I had an audition for Woody Allen. Huh. 
once and I was prepped before going in. They were like, just so you know, sometimes he won't look at you. Sometimes um, he'll just be facing the other direction. And sometimes he'll be hiding behind a screen. And I was like, excuse me? What? So this is what it makes me think of. I think of that where it's just like him behind a screen hiding. And, and sometimes he's going to just eat a sandwich through your audition. Sometimes he'll yeah. be on the phone. This is his process. Sometimes he will just ignore you completely and be a rude piece of shit. Uh, but that's his method. Uh, and so far, I guess it's freaking worked. Uh, At least they not anymore. I will At least say. That's true. That's very true. Uh, so I've got two other actors that were up for the role of Quasimodo. Very nearly cast Meatloaf. Uh-huh. I did not know that. <laughs> I am not... I don't think I'm mad about that. Certainly, like, vocally, I can hear it. Um, yeah. The directors said they loved the quality and range of his singing voice. Oh, but yeah, he has decided the that range. Tom Hulse was a better match for Quasimodo when the character wasn't singing. Totally. Yes, I can, I can understand that. But very, very interesting to think about his, like, that big soaring right. voice on, on a song. Because like, I will say, like, I think... It's nicely sung by Tom Hulse, but it is not like I've heard how many guys have I heard do this oh, in different yeah. classes and auditions. Oh, like, yeah. Um, and you don't need Quasimodo to like sing it perfectly, but Meatloaf would sing the crap out of it. That's for yeah, sure. I feel like Meatloaf would definitely tear it up. But, you know, I think where I like really come down on Tom Hulse is I love I think my favorite thing about Out There sung by Tom Hulse is the imperfections in yeah. in the voice that the song you hear the vulnerability it's, in the exactly vocal. it's just like mm. it, his his vibrato is like super fast and it's just like wavering and I'm like oh my gosh this is like it's the voice of someone who has so much inside them that's just mm. trying to get out and this is the first time that it's being let out I'm like that is what I want in my Quasimodo Mm-hmm. yeah same I love it <laughs> he apparently had to kind of like pitch them on it to allow him to do his own singing because uh, you know it's still like the next year yeah. is you know Roger Bart is singing Go the Distance yeah. for Tate yeah, Donovan and Judy Kuhn um, is singing but- for Pocahontas Judy Kuhn. We are not mad about that. I that is never did I did I once take a class with her and then have her sign a CD of it to give to my brother? (laughs) Were we both full adults at this point? Absolutely. (laughs) But was like (laughs) this is a voice Caroline. (laughs) Did Caroline and I fully check out in a speech class? when Judy Kuhn started singing Colors of the Wind next door to us? Maybe. <laughs> How could you pay attention to anything oh else that's going on? I was that's like, amazing. our teacher was just sort of like looking around and Caroline and I were just like, uh, hold we're on. We're like facing the door. Because like. <laughs> she was she was the she was the singing teacher for the year above us when yeah. we were uh-huh. in school. And we heard someone start playing Colors of the Wind and they're like, oh, haha, they're playing a joke. And then she started singing and I was like, <gasps> no. <laughs> It's like undeniable that voice. Uh, I was I was at a, an audition studio once, just like working through some material for myself, just to learn for an audition. And I hear from next door, the studio uh, next door to mine, someone starts singing "Bring Him Home" from Les Mis, and I was like, oh, "Okay, buddy, great." And then like the voice came through, I was like, "Oh, this guy is great." And then I listened to a couple seconds longer, I was like, "This is." renowned opera singer Alfie Bow, who's about to go into it on Broadway. I Aww. run over to the wall, 
forget what I'm doing. Who cares about this audition? I hold my recorder up to the wall and listen to, I listen to Alfie Bo sing Bring Him Home through the wall. I then run around, like run around and look and sure enough, it was, it was that management company. And I, I then like the next week for that audition I was working on, I showed up and he was working on some other scene in another room. I was like, I am crushing it because this is the yes. only voice I ever want to hear sing anything. Wait, oh forget it. God. Alfie Bo is Quasimodo. It's done. It's Can a the age is off, but let's do it. It would sound just amazing. The voice. Just when the voice. I hear him sing, I can't stop. Just tears pour from my face. I know. Like, I it's know. just unbelievable. These tears coming down like molten lava poured <laughs> down by gargoyles. Exactly. Like molten lava out of Notre Dame. Uh, And one other actor uh, for Quasimodo, I think you already know this one, Caroline, because there's a kind of a a news article that came out last year, as now known in Disney as the Patinkin Incident. Broadway actor Mandy Patinkin auditioned for Quasimodo, and it was a disaster. This story is one of the best stories I've ever heard. The Patinkin Incident. Oh, have you not read this article, Amy Jo? No, I am all fresh. Tell me, Jeff. Tell it, tell it, Jeff. (laughs) All right. So according to the directors. I'll just read the quote. This is a quote. In one of our casting sessions in New York, Mandy Patinkin came in and actually read for the part. Again, Mandy Patinkin, amazing actor, incredible career, big fan, disastrous audition. He brought his own accompanist. We had a guy there. He was on the piano and everybody who came in and sang, he supplied the music. His accompanist had rearranged the song. This is with Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz in the room. In the room. So they played it and Kirk and I were like, huh. You could see Alan and Steven just turning red and levitating, like the room behind them was getting dark. And when he finished with the song, I can't remember who it was, but almost immediately they said, Kirk and Gary, do you want to step outside? We said, okay. Uh, and then they step outside and they, they as, from, as they say, they hear an animated discussion happening behind the door. And then Mandy Patinkin comes back out to work, ostensibly to work with them on a dialogue scene because he hadn't read a scene, the scene yet. He just sung. And they're like trying to work with him and he's being very gracious. He's talking with us. He's nodding. It's a little bit intense. And then mid-sentence, as they're talking, Mandy just goes, guys, I'm really sorry. I can't do this. Turns on his heel, goes back into the room and shuts the door. And then there's a huge argument from inside. As they said, quote, then the fireworks really started. The walls shook. Mandy chewed out Stephen so bad that Stephen was so pissed that he got up and left. Stephen gets in the elevator and he's gone. And then Alan has to go talk him off the ledge. So Alan puts on his coat and his scarf and he's out of there. So now we've lost Mandy, we've lost Alan, and we've lost Stephen. We're sitting there in this smoking crater. <laughs> These are also people that ostensibly know one another from they know the each New other. York theater world. Like these are all oh people who by the mid 90s or early 90s whenever they're auditioning for this are like all hugely well-known and respected from the same it's not like oh, this big Hollywood guy came to the Broadway world and doesn't know how things are done. These are all people who should be able to like have a conversation together. <laughs> uh, Patinkin's side of the story, all he said was that he's pretty sure that he did say something along the lines of, I can't do this. And according to him, he just said, I worked on the song like I work on every song. That it would be like, I had my I had my guy work on it. Like, that's, he kind of, like that. that's, that's my process. That's what I do. So... <laughs> Let's not keep talking about the Patinkin incident. But when he, okay, let's say he's doing, I don't know, Sunday in the Park with George. Is he coming in with rearranged songs? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to know. 
Maybe Mandy, Sondheim Mandy. is his guy, Mandy. and he brought Sondheim in as the accompanist. <laughs> now that's imagine? a twist. They had that's and the Sondheim one thing they didn't just say. Went is that the crazy on score? Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? He's like, so I've rearranged uh, out there in seven eight. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna do it this way. It's a little out there. But I think we'll enjoy it. <laughs> I just that's like what to really imagine did it. That, that's like, what did it for Stephen and Alan. After lunch, they all come back in, and then Tom Hulse comes in, and he's just like, hello, I'm like to audition for Quasimodo. And then he just does it. They're like, literally anybody, Perfect. just take right. him, take him. They're like, oh, you, you didn't bring your own uh, guy to change the music? Great, you're hired. Great. Done. Yep, it's done. your part. Not looking. Oh, my gosh. The Patinkin incident. The Patinkin, a smoking crater. It was like Notre Dame at the end of the film in there after that audition. Oh, man. Not even Francis Cleanup Service could fix that. Hmm. Now, if it hadn't become an incident, what do we think of Manny Patinkin as Quasimodo? I can hear it. I can hear it. I can hear hear it. it. I still think... The, I can, I mean, he also someone with a very fast vibrato, uh-huh. like notable. So like that, but I, I don't know. I think um, I I do not know Mandy personally, um, but I I do know, and this story I think continues to <laughs> vivify that. That like particularly at a certain point in his career, there was a lot of ego banging around. Mm. So uh, not that Tom Hulse did or I don't you know I don't have any any scoops on that, but it. I wonder how that translates to a a tender, you know what I mean? Also thinking about what swagger. else Patinkin was doing around this time, you know, like it wouldn't be that much later he'd be doing burrs, uh, you know, mm. and just he, he plays big, splashy, bombastic characters. Not that they don't have incredibly deep, delicate emotions because they do, but like, you know, he's the original Che in Evita. Even George is like still yeah. in Sunday in the Park has like so much going on. I don't know something about the simplicity of what Hulse mm. does, and so that Kevin Klein can be the flashy one. Yeah. I don't know about the two of them. To yeah. get, it, it feels too much samey same. Yeah, that doesn't matter. Yeah, because huh. yeah, I like the youthfulness that Tom Hulse brings into mm-hmm. it, even though I don't know offhand how old he was. But you know, this is a, over a decade after Amadeus, I think. So he's probably in his, I'd guess, forties at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I don't know about Mandy. But yeah, Mandy. Mandy as Phoebus, I'd I'm could into that. kind of see. I could kind of be interested yeah. in it. Maybe even a Mandy as Frollo. Maybe even a Mandy as Frollo. Now, now Mandy as Frollo? Now Mandy Mandy, Mandy, and Mandy for the new Hunchback? <gasps> Do you think they would have him back? Oh, no, give him another probably shot? not. Not if it's still known as the Patinkin incident. <laughs> Can you imagine you know going into that first oh, rehearsal with Stephen and Alan, and he's just like, hey, guys, I brought my guy. <laughs> Bygones, right? <laughs> Bygones, right? (laughs) Um, But I actually, I think Mandy might be done with the story of Quasimodo because the year after, in 1997, Mandy played Quasimodo in a live-action TV movie version of Hunchback of Notre Dame with Richard Harris as Frollo and Selma Hayek as Esmeralda. Richard Harris. So Mandy just wanted to play Quasimodo, and he was like, I'm going to do it my way. Oh my God, Connor! You're gonna become Mandy Patinkin because you're. you're No, I don't want to be Mandy Patinkin. I don't want to. I don't want to upset Alan and Stephen. (laughs) (laughs) I would never. I can, Caroline. I can't. No, no. I can't imagine you ever doing that. Can you even imagine? You would walking in with your own person and just being like, (laughs) "We've rearranged it." I mean, see, the only reason to walk in with your own accompanist is if. 
you are not doing the material they have provided. And yes. it is like like a lot of people in the opera world will bring their own mm. person because that stuff is so hard to play. Mm-hmm. And I have in the non-opera world gone in and had auditions that would have gone a lot better if the person either knew my material or were, and I'm not bringing in like really hard stuff, but mm-hmm. like things that they're just unfamiliar with and they're not very good at sight reading, which if you're if you're an audition pianist, you probably should be good at it. But like if you're going in for a really important audition with a really difficult piece that there's no way this person would definitely know, then sure. But if they're playing the same thing for everyone stands to reason that guy's going to play it okay for you. And in if the it's arranged a version that the composer did. Like if it's Disney giving you someone to play their music, like they're Come probably. It, it, was, it was Mickey Mouse doing. on the piano. <laughs> Mickey Mouse, Mickey fingers. Mouse tickling the keys. Yeah. Can with you imagine with those like white mittens just like. <laughs> that is what it sounds like when I play piano. <laughs> oh, you know, you know, it, it must have been Donald Duck because we know that he plays piano from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. Piano, so Daffy. Uh, but uh, shall we move on to Clopin, uh, yeah. our narrator, our jester figure, uh, a bit of a slightly malevolent presence at times, but then he's kind of just overall. He's like, a real a trickster he's a character. A trickster. He's a trickster. Uh, so who wants to start us off? Uh, Caroline, your thoughts on Paul Candle as Clopin, and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? Okay, so I just have to get something off my chest that, again, is just taking over my mind because I read it once, and I just can't wipe it from my mind, is everybody's talking about Lin-Manuel Miranda playing him, and I, again, say no thank you. Mm, no, I thank see you. why. I totally get yeah. why. Yeah. But I just, yeah, I don't think... I need that. He's not optioning it up. I was like just that. about I'm to say sorry. we're not going to get the option up at all. He doesn't have the yeah. range. He doesn't have the he range. He doesn't have the range. No. Um. So when when I, I was like, I was I had trouble with this. I heard that Jared Leto can really sing. Um. Well, he's got a band. He's got a what was oh, it 30, 30 right. seconds to Mars? Right. Do you see my face? I, 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 I <laughs> he sings in it. I assume he sings, and it's not like a Keanu's band where he just plays bass situation. Uh, or, I, although I don't, I don't know look, if I could. I could. Russell Crowe has a band, sings. but we all saw Les Mis. So uh, let's take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and Bruce Willis as Clopin bringing out the harmonica. <laughs> oh, Bruno. Uh, no, no. It, but Jared, Jared Leto. I mean, he looks a little like Jared Leto. He, yeah. Clopin. I also. That Dev Patel can sing, and I think that Clopin would be a little bit more fun. I'm into love that. I'd like to see that. That would be a little bit less malevolent, which I would could be here for. Um, and I think that could be fun. Yeah. So I'm, but like still very mischievous. Yeah. And I want someone a little younger. I think. I think I like that also. So yeah, I'm gonna go with Dev. Oh, great! Hmm. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Connor. Well, um, I came up with five options. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And um, one of them the is himself. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we can't move on because we're just like, we've got more and more people that we keep thinking of. Great. So, I mean, first off, I I choose Paul Kendall. If he's if he's available, yeah. he's the option. Um, but if not, um, I could see Sasha Baron Cohen doing it. I um, can absolutely mm-hmm. see that. Mm-hmm. I could, if we're going for who's got the range, Titus Burgess definitely has the range to do that you'll sing it all in that octave and then option up the octave above (laughs) exactly exactly i could also see billy porter doing it Uh um i also threw in alan cumming if we wanted something like a really really out there kind Mm -hmm. of performance i have him for something else that's so interesting okay oh Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then lastly, I'm like, if we really wanted to like, I, I don't know why, but this one popped into my brain and then I just like couldn't unsee it. Stanley Tucci. Oh, I love Stanley. Interesting. I like a young Tooch. Yeah. A young, a young Tooch. Not, not Tooch now, but, yeah. uh, a, a younger Tooch for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's just something, there's just something about his like quality like just like a quality about him that vibes very similarly with Clopin so I'm like I could see it Tucci is both impish and like commands the room in a particular way and I feel like like both of those things are necessary I feel like Devil Wears Prada Tucci could could influence some of uh some of his Clopin yeah, I'm seeing a little way. of that, and I'm seeing I'm seeing a little of the Tooch as old Robin Goodfellow, old Puck in that mid '90s Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, yes. yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, I completely forgot about that Me until too. you just brought it up with oh, Rupert Everett. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that. Uh, Amy Joe, thoughts on Paul Candell? Besides that incredible end to <laughs> Bells of Notre Dame. <laughs> my, uh, in my opinion. He's perfect. Uh, cut print. I'll. I just need to listen to that last like sixteen bars on loop for the rest of yeah. my life. That's that's Can your. You that's your that new was your tone, sixteen right? bars. Like you walk into audition and you're like, these are my sixteen bars. You know someone's done it. You know some. I mean, I'm guilty of sometimes coming in and being like, I'm going to start at the loudest point possible. But you know someone's done that. It's like people coming in and singing just the end of Glitter and Be Gay. Like, By the way, I have an E. Why are those um, people always in line before me too? Like right before. But me. you know, you know that in the right room, they're getting their eyes rolled up because it's like, really? Do you think I needed to hear this in a tiny rehearsal studio? Like my ears. Are bleeding now. Thanks. At nine in the um, morning. <laughs> at nine in the morning, I have written here any old Angel Ross. Um, basically, anyone oh. that has played like a a big vocal thing. Because the thing is, right? This is like very few spoken lines. It's primarily yeah. s- sung storytelling, which is trickier than even just having someone fill in just the 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 song because this is a long repetitive song is his primary thing that he has to do and it's all of the exposition it's all of the world building so you need someone who can make da 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 da, da like sound like text and mm. also sound good when sung and um, spitting out those words in topsy turvy is a task yes. oh my gosh yeah and i don't i don't miss a one you know no so I have here, and this is, I've gotten really niche with you all today, but I just can't help it. I'm going Anthony Warlow, who um, oh. is an Australian musical theater performer who has, especially this era in the 90s, he has some of the most bonkers vocal performances. There's a there's an album of Jekyll and Hyde. Yes, that's, playing. yes. Yes, and he is the Angelos on the international cast recording of Les Mis, uh, and just... Hearing him come over the top in um, in one day more, mm. like it's the same kind of thing where I was just like obsessed. He also has an album, or at least one album of all his own stuff, and so there's one track of him doing "You're Nothing Without Me" from City of Angels, playing both parts. And <gasps> that frankly, was one of my audition songs for college. <laughs> that's the kind of um, showmanship that I think you need from someone who is like basically my thing it's just to like be interesting and then scream my face at the end like give me Anthony Warlow so there you go I love it I love that yeah I was really hooking on to like the mischief mischievous 
quality of Clopin. So I was thinking it's very different, but I could see a Martin Short. Not necessarily. I mean, he does sing. Mm. He's not gonna. He's not singing mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Paul Candell sings. Uh-huh. Uh, who Paul Candell? Because not as well known. He is uh did a lot of Broadway, especially back in the '90s and '80s. He was Uncle Ernie in the Who's Tommy on Broadway, which is what the producers of this saw and cast him as Clopin based off that, uh, which he got his, as of yet, uh, only Tony nomination for. So I think he kind of made a real splash in that role. It's a real creepy role. Yes, yes. Uh, I could see a Raul Esparza, thinking of just actors that we know sing and actors that can have that Mm. little impish, malevolent side. Oh, yeah. Uh, And just thinking of actors, really, I I mean, he, he passed away recently, which made me think of him again more recently is very sad but uh brent carver of kiss of the spider woman and parade uh, just thinking of that like beautiful soaring voice like i could i could see that as well and honestly i could even see him as quasimodo just as a vocal performance Uh, yeah Mm -hmm. yeah. um but that's listening to him singing again sorry with my super niche references but that kiss of the spider woman and dressing them up that whole like balance i got what that's like got that same kind of vibe you're like (laughs) I don't know if we needed all that, but I'm glad we have it. <laughs> uh, so one other actor who was up for Clopin, Eric Idle, was considered. A hundred percent, I would believe that. Huh. I can see it. Okay. Now, instead, instead, in 1996, Eric Idle was in Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, when, released as Wind in the Willows in the UK. But I just thought it was funny of just being another Disney property. adjacent yeah, mm-hmm. property. Uh, although... I looked it up because I was like, oh, I didn't really hear about this Mr. Toad's Wild Ride that has like directed by Terry Jones with John Cleese and in a supporting role is very Monty Python-esque. Have either of you seen seen this, Caroline and Connor? Yes. I don't, you I don't know if ages I've seen ago. this one. Yeah, yeah, ages ago. Because um, I was looking up and it was like, it just got like no release. And I just found this this bit of trivia that at the time of the film's US release, Terry Jones was working in New York on a documentary and was so like, why is my movie not out anywhere? And he got, he was told by telephone that the film was being shown in a cinema in Times Square. Jones rushed down to the square only to discover that the film was showing at, quote, one of those seedy little porno theaters. <laughs> I'm like, oh. why is, did they think Mr. Toad's wild ride meant something different? Did they think, when you just, like, ad- when you detach that title, sure, sure. My God. That's sure. so strange, though. That's like if it's attached to a studio, like mm. that's peculiar. well. I mean, it wasn't. I don't think it was produced by Disney. No, correct. But still, uh, if you have that level of people in it, you'd think bizarre. I have no idea, but that's what Eric Idle was doing instead. Was <laughs> Mr. Toad's Wild Ride? He missed oh, out. Yoik. He, yeah, he, he did. He 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 missed out just a bit. Um, I also but, just want to shout out all of the. As far as I know, the live show in the parks was not pre-recorded singing and some somebody was hitting that option up every day in the florida heat so just claps for that you know what though that that florida heat better for better for singing that uh, we did spam a lot together jeff and i and it was we we did it outside in virginia in august and (gasps) september and i was like this is awful and yet never sounded better (laughs) i am so moist (laughs) (laughs) but let's move on to hugo and laverne i i feel like we could just kind of talk about them together and even though victor the which was um charles kimbrough was the only actor i saw up for that role if you got it feels like i mean there's such a trio so if you've got like someone else if you want to have like this trio together 
then go go for it if you feel very passionate about like get out of here charles kimbrough um who's who's the very like fraser ish (laughs) gargoyle um but i i think they're all great so uh let's start with you amy joe your thoughts on as hugo jason alexander and as laverne old sister acts mary wicks and who'd you cast if you had to cast someone else we love mary Mary. wicks we stand mary wicks so good so funny i um i love her she's perfect um and it's so funny uh her performance is very funny and just so like of course her name's Laverne you know (laughs) um if you're going for a similar type of performance I have some much older character actresses to recommend the first being Marjorie Main who I think is probably best known for being Ma Kettle but I know her because she's in uh the 1939 film of the women and she is uh, maybe this crowd would know her better from being the uh, maid Katie in Meet Me in St. Louis in the movie. Uh-huh. Um, just uh-huh. kind of just also kind of like a no nonsense broad who's yes. kind of like just like talking. Well, that's me, you know. Oh, my God. Um, so she would give, I think, a very similar vibe. And then uh, Thelma Ritter, MVP of every film she was ever in. I'm like, I didn't I'd enjoy that. As for Hugo, Jason Alexander, it's. It's, I mean, a very cohesive performance, but like we were talking about this, I can't, I can't get out of my head now. It's that like, it feels like it's a prototype for uh, Danny DeVito's character in Hercules, which is about to happen, which we've watched a lot more frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like can't, I can't un see it he's small that. he's part animal and he's horny all the time and like bada bing, bada bing. Danny DeVito so I'm wondering <laughs> yep. something more like like uh, same lines but more of like a Steve Martin type uh, <gasps> if that wouldn't give it more differentiation you know um, just in my brain which of course this came out before Hercules so it's not Jason Alexander's fault I think he does a great job with it but it also feels like so 90s you know what i mean the songs uh, but are also, similar too the the, the, the songs yes, are very similar yeah, yeah the kind of showbiz yeah. feel um and i another fun laverne i think if it, and i don't think they would have gone with this actor because she was just part of another sort of like a trio would be whoopee um i think that <gasps> oh. she'd be very funny but obviously she was just in lion king right uh-huh. before that but um, but I love the idea. Yeah, Whoopi just shouting at all these pigeons. Yeah, who doesn't I want it? I could have done with at least four more times in the film of pigeons attacking her. I agree. This is my favorite runner. I would I like to mo- have a moment with the boy if it's all right with you. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end, one last time. Thank you for that, Disney. Yes, yes. Uh, that is all all great. Uh, uh, Caroline, what about what about you? All right. So I was once again thinking if we were doing it now, maybe we're doing live action. Yeah, for me. Jason Alexander is so Hugo. So I was like, let's just go somewhere different. I was like, Tiffany Haddish or <gasps> Michaela Cole or mm-hmm. I was Love. thinking Kumail Nanjiani. I feel like could yes. be very funny. Just I think I would have to just go in a different, a totally different type of comedy direction. So I don't know. And I'm not attached to specific actors for specific parts of the trio i mean for laverne like betty white did cross my mind um she'd be very cute um but again if we want to go someone else who crossed my mind for a different direction would be aquafina but it's the same thing now she's gonna be scuttle in the live action little mermaid and she was sisu and ryan the last dragon Mm -hmm. so then i'm like shirley mcclain and aquafina is gonna be in um 
what's it called? Um, uh, the, the new Marvel, Ten Ring, the new Marvel. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. She's yeah. She so is she's just booking. She's booking. Yeah. She's booking. And I'm not mad about it. I'm, I'm not mad at it. No. No. Oh like, I, so I can see it. You know what? Who knows? Or I mean, like. Julia Louis Dreyfus? I don't know. I mean, I was just thinking about some about Never mad about never her right? being in anything. And then Can I you imagine like, if it was Jason Alexander, Julia <gasps> Louis Dreyfus, and like <laughs> Jerry, and Jerry Seinfeld. Seinfeld? Jerry Seinfeld, like, what is the deal with all of these? <laughs> that is yes. the most '90s moment that we could have. I in thought a it was too '90s, and I was incorrect. <laughs> Oh, I love I love all of that. If we switched out Victor, just for I was thinking about like some I love the silky voiced feel of Victor. So I want Norm Lewis. I want someone who can really like hold down some of the singing. So Norm Lewis. I also really enjoy Beck Bennett from SNL. Um, I would enjoy that as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of yeah, thinking of like a Jason Alexander on top of Norm Lewis vocally because they're the vocal textures are so different mm-hmm. in a way that would sound really nice when put together in yes. song. Yes, 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 yes. I want the smooth vocals. I still want the vocals because I hope if we get another version of this. Um, I would like another song, a different song, or maybe another song for the gargoyles. So yeah, I want some singing for sure. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, and Connor, what are you, what's your thoughts on them gargoyles? Well, I gasped earlier because I think I won the game again because um, I too had Steve Martin down for <laughs> a Hugo well, situation. At us. Amy so Joe I am just, see you both later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now they might he and Martin Short might have been in Prince of Egypt around this they very certainly time. Were. <laughs> they <laughs> might they might have <laughs> You're playing with and the they big might have boys been now. Oh my gosh. One of the <laughs> most like iconic moments of nineties animated film history. Oh my like, gosh. The day that I found out that Danny Glover's singing voice was supplied by Brian Stokes Mitchell. I was like, uh, it was it was a good day, you know. <laughs> I'm like, I was like, oh, that's Brian? who that is. That's Cole House Walker. I'm like, he His emails me and asks Walker. me for money, <laughs> and I say, uh, sure. <laughs> um, but for Hugo, I had I had Steve Martin, Nathan Lane, if not for The Lion King, uh, Robin Williams, if not for Aladdin. I feel like they would have fit this mold very well. I I love I love Hugo. I like I'm not gonna I'm gonna say this. I love Hugo more than I like Phil in Hercules. Um, mm-hmm. I just think he's just like a little more fun and and I enjoy his silliness. Um, and I mean the number of times me and my family quote the oh look a mime and then like go to Hakalugi <laughs> like. That I that that's a gift, and so I will accept that. Um for Victor, I mean, I don't I'm I'm not mad about any of the choices that have really been been thrown out here. So I can get on board with any of them. But Laverne is where I had the most opinions because I mean I love Mary Wicks. Mary Wicks, I haven't seen a single Ugh. thing yeah. that she has done that I do not love. She's the best mm-hmm. part about White Christmas. Um, like just flawless. However, I'm very interested also, Caroline, in a uh, Shirley MacLaine. I could see that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'm a bit more interested in an Elaine Stritch. Um, <gasps> that would how slay did me. how that was just laying there on the ground, and I didn't even see it to pick it up. <laughs> 
And the other one I'd be really interested in, and I mean, I can't see either Elaine or this or this fine actress, but B. Arthur. Mm-hmm. I can yep. see her taking a few. Why don't at we just get the Golden Girls? Yes, in yes. There. Add golden another gargoyle. Oh. Wait, four gargoyles. Oh my gosh, the if Golden Girls. Moto. If <laughs> oh my god, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, you're a genius. Oh, I'm gonna need to make podcast. a visual of that. I'll put I that need, up online. Yeah, someone the who can actually draw voice. to like draw like the gargoyles, but they're all oh and they all goodness. have perms. Oh, oh all these gargoyles. Quasimodo sharing a cheesecake with these gargoyles. <gasps> there you go. It makes so much sense. Like four older ladies help. It makes so much sense. Yes. Yeah, oh. yeah that they're he's all. Like, he's their yeah. little baby. Yeah. And they, went, they went love for him. Hmm. Thank you. I, for I, I, think I think we've solved it. I think we need the golden coils. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm there. I'm there for that. The golden coils. Oh. oh no! I love oh, it, man. It's Connor. Too good. I, I also had a lane stretch that I thought would be a great Laverne. Oh, winner, uh, yes. winner. Oh. And and Cloris Leachman. Yes, I think yes. Did. yes. I also thought Cloris. Leachman. Uh, and I was like, if you want, like, I, 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 I don't know. Like, as Hugo, like, if you want to just make them all be older, I could see like a Mickey Rooney, just like a oh, little. Oh yes. Mickey Rooney, just like going Mickey. after this goat and just hocking loogies at at mimes. Yes, and. Yeah, I, I think Charles Kimbrough is so good as as Victor, but really it is so Fraserish. So I could see uh, David Hyde Pierce or oh, anyone that is just getting and we offended know the by man everything. Sings. We know yes, the man he sings. Does. We know the man sings. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I don't know if like made today. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm now just stuck on Golden. Golden Goyles, Goyles is all it. I want. <laughs> it's it. No, I think one of the things that I've loved so much about this is like is this idea of all the gargoyles being like old people it makes me think of the midsummer night's dream that was at the yes. public in the park where, they where were all, all of the citizens. fairies were old yes. people and Ugh. i loved that concept yeah and mm-hmm. then i mean i i just keep also thinking of like toy story 4 where you've got the baby toys that are being played by mel brooks mm. carl reiner betty white and carol burnett and i'm like yeah. i yeah. Love Carol these Burnett. like combinations. Yeah. I know Carol mm. Burnett's another one. Oh, so come like on. I, I just love the I love the wise comedian uh like mm-hmm. trend. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, same. I, I love that. That's what I want. For this new new hunchback, new live action hunchback, let's just get your oldest living. So we gotta get Angela Lance, gotta get Angela Lansbury, we gotta get Dick <laughs> oh. Van Dyke, get our <sighs> oldest actors still working today. Is <gasps> Julie what Andrews is Victor. <laughs> Done. We I want a smooth voice. Yes. <laughs> she can wear her like Victor Victoria like yes. sort of outfit. I think it'd be required. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then just throw in Jane Howdy Shell so we have like yes, the theatrical legends, her. you know? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Uh, so the original voices of the gargoyles uh, were, as, as we said, still Charles Kimbrough of Victor, who was a uh, Murphy Brown seems to be the big thing for him, which I mm. never watched an episode of. No, but for neither. those who did, you're like, it's obviously what's his fame what's his name for murphy brown uh but as hugo sam mcmurray who to me is just forever and always cinema and tv's best worst dad he is david crumoltz's dad in adam's family values he's the terrible dad in drop dead gorgeous that we just Mm -hmm. did on the pod he's terrible he's terrible dad on freaks and geeks he's like great character actor of strong playing. used car salesman energy strong <laughs> used car salesman energy and for laverne sydney lopper no cindy lopper cindy C- i thought you said sydney lopper cindy 
Lauper. Gotcha. Wow. Yes, it was Cindy Lauper's long lost cousin, Sydney <laughs> Lauper from Down Under. Uh, no, my, my mistake. Cindy. Cindy Lauper, who was the first actor attached to the film during its initial stages. And wow. she, so she thought that she was cast as Esmeralda <gasps> and was startled to learn that she was to be voicing a gargoyle. Uh, no. Oh. Okay. All right. Oh, oh my. No. Okay. Now, Wait, here's I'm, the deal. <gasps> Okay, so I, as I have said, I worked on Kinky Boots. So being in the room with the two writers that have two of the most distinct voices you've ever heard, which is Cyndi Lauper and Harvey Firestein, like, of course you want that voice in animation. But she's even talked about, she's like, tried to train her queen's accent out of her speech. And she she can't, you know, but it's like the thought... (laughs) The thought that this like broad queen's accent is going to be your like out, out of this French sultry romantically, of course, a French gargoyle is where that belongs. Yes, and the ca- character wise, they were very different, and that's all. That's why because they cast them, they cast Sam McMurray and Cindy Lauper, Cindy Lauper, <laughs> oh uh, and that's why like they as they were developing it, they realized like oh, we kind of need the gargoyles like over several years because that's how long you know these movies take mm-hmm. to make. Uh, they realized that the gargoyles needed to reflect three sides of Quasimodo's personality, and they decided to recast those two. So they had to let them go. So yeah. it would have been very different. It would not. It would not have been Cindy Lauper as this like <laughs> Sydney as Lopper. this aged like you know aged woman female gargoyle now doing a whole Wicked Witch of the West bit. Yeah. I assume. I I'm just like thinking of Cindy Lauper, assuming that she's Esmeralda. Oh, and her like singing God help the outcasts in like uh, Goonies are good enough it. sort of like style where it's just like lots of like ha, 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 like things happening. <laughs> oh, God. Also, I, I just need to say it. I'm sorry, but gargoyles just want to have fun. Oh, How this is co- the gift. These that are at your fingertips. <laughs> they're, they're right here at your fingertips, Jeff. <laughs> I don't I don't offer much, but what I do offer is useless puns. Um, <laughs> it's gold is what it is. It's yeah, you say goils. useless. I say a T-shirt. Golden goils. Yes, that, that's a T-shirt right there is the golden goils. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this gargoyle. We're getting that commissioned. Prepare yourselves. <laughs> uh, but so after they let them go, then for Hugo, ding, 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 again for Connor, Nathan Lane was sought for the role but was unavailable due to his Broadway commitments. And that's all it said. So I looked up, and because these take years, originally I was thinking possibly it was funny thing happened forum, on the way to the yeah. forum. Guys and Dolls. It, I mean, that's so early, because that's like 91. So it could have been that. I think it might have been, which was in between those two, which was the play Love, Valor, Compassion, oh. which is bananas to me, because Nathan Lane originated the role of Buzz on Broadway. And then for the TV movie they did with almost all of the original cast, except for his role, which they got Jason Alexander for. Uh, and I don't think of them as being like super similar. I guess they are in a lot of ways, but I just, I don't ever think of, they're both so distinct to me. I wouldn't think like, oh, those two, of course, they're up for a lot of the same stuff. But in these two cases, they were, huh. Huh. which is bananas wow. to me. Um, but I, yeah, I think Jason Alexander does a perfectly fine job in this. Uh, Mary Wicks, of course. I, Mary I'll Wicks. never complain about Wicks. Jason Alexander. Never, never, never complain about Jason. No. 
No. And I like, you know, also broad men had Broadway experience when you're yeah. getting people with like real like stage and you can from the theater. That's also the thing, too, is then when you have someone who can take something from speech into song and back yes. and be very free with it, because you're not trying to mask the fact that it's a different actor now singing the part. It's like he, he can be as fluid with it as he wants because he's got the chops. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And uh, as and- as Caroline and I usually do tying things back to Brandy Cinderella, I mean, it's all I'm thinking about. It's Jason. Oh, what what is always... wrong with us? We have a problem. <laughs> we're always, this whole we're time, always I was be like, Team could Jason Nathan, because I was Brandy like, could Cinderella. Nathan Lane be in Brandy Cinderella? And I'm like, he could. I could see him doing the princes giving a ball. It'd be great. It'd be different, but it'd be great. And I'm like, uh, and, and I did want to mention that this was Mary Wick's final feature film credit and she had passed away before finishing all of her lines and a vocal stand-in was uh. recorded her remaining lines which was jane withers uh of the film giant of just going back of like wow talk, talking about someone with that's 1950 putting their time or in 1955 in hollywood uh and she so she had to match wix's voice and performance for the few lines so that audiences would not detect the difference and then she reprised the role in the sequel the hunchback of notre dame 2 the secret of the bell i don't i, I we don't talk about the sequel <laughs> we don't talk about the secret of the bell I'll, with all jennifer love that, hewitt jennifer love hewitt <laughs> Jennifer Love Hewitt and uh, Michael McKean I saw. And then m- all the rest of the cast all br- came back. The, the surviving yeah. members of the cast, yes. not, you know, of, of character-wise, so no Tony J. But I was kind of shocked for, like, a directed DVD sequel that you're getting back Kevin Klein and Demi Moore is kind of bananas. Yeah. They had to – how many days did they have to work on that and how much did they get paid? I guess that's true. They, well, just knowing sometimes when it's like, you know, they didn't they give Robin Williams, like, some super expensive painting to lure him back to King of Thieves? I don't remember all that. I think something that might be like apocryphal that is... because he was like annoyed that he, that he, he wouldn't do Re- Return of Jafar because I, I, he's like, I forget what it was. I, it might be apocryphal, but that I, I'd heard that he didn't want his voice in like a genie doll. And Disney was like, yes. well, we're going to put your voice yes. in a genie doll. So he was like, well, I'm out of Return of the Jafar. And then they gave him like, I don't know, not a Picasso, but like some kind of like really expensive painting to lure him back in for King of Thieves. Mm-hmm. Uh, this could all just be, may, I'm not real and could be easily debunked. But for all I've I know, heard but that's a lot I've of this, heard. but that's you know, all the legends, the legends. Hey, I'm Connor. And I'm Caroline. And we are the hosts of Poor Unfortunate Podcast. A podcast for all those grown-up Disney lovers looking for people to shoot the shit about Disney the way they do with their friends. If a BuzzFeed Disney quiz came to life in the form of a podcast, this would be it. Join us as we talk about things like tips and tricks for exploring Disney parks. The masterpiece that is 1997 Cinderella starring Brandy and Whitney Houston. Specially curated Disney movie marathons and playlists for when you have nothing better to do with your life. The joy of a Grand Marnier slush from Epcot and so much more. So if you're listening right now and thinking, these are my people, give Poor Unfortunate Podcast a listen. And if you're not, this ad's almost over. New episodes drop every other Monday, and we're available wherever you get your podcasts. Beluga Sabruga. Um, But let's go on to Frollo. So, Connor, what are your thoughts on old, old Judge Frollo, that Tony J, and... Who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? Okay. So, you know, having to cast someone else, because I'm, there's a theme. I love Tony J. A lot of the people that I have here, you know, have have sadly passed. 
but there are two that are still living that I could see taking on the role in like a live action. Patrick Page has to be in the discussion here yes, after doing clearly. the musical. Always mm-hmm. he's in the discussion. If you don't know who Patrick Page is, just Google and listen. He was the original many star Many people who are King. listeners to our podcast are right. familiar with Patrick Page. But <laughs> thank, yeah. thank the Lord. Um, Patrick Page has to be in, in discussion. But I would also put Charles Dance in the discussion. Um, I love that. Because Charles mm-hmm. Dance is a person who... He can be in anything, and I will be just like he could be the nicest person ever. He could be a good guy in the movie, and I will never fully trust it. And he's <laughs> he, uh, he's fantastic. But my my two deceased actors who I could see if Tony J was unavailable, I could have seen Christopher Lee taking on the role. Mm. Um, and I also. This one I this really kind of bumming me out because I would love to see the a live action version with this actor, Alan Rickman. I would yes. love to see Alan Rickman. I agree. Frollo. I mean, just, just thinking of that, Judge Turpin and Sweeney yep. Todd. It's oh, like yeah. Yeah. just Cam. pluck that just performance boop, boop. and put it in Hunchback yeah. of Notre Dame. That's what it was. Yeah. No, those are great. Those are great picks. Uh, and Caroline, what what you thinking about that old Frollo? I need Patrick Page. Yeah, I just can't. I have to have it. I have to have it. Um. But I was like, okay, again, I have to take the same kind of tact because I've talked about Frollo a bunch on the podcast. I'm obsessed with Frollo. I'm obsessed with Tony Jay's performance. And I'm sure you'll talk about Jeff, like who else was up for it and who he beat out for this. And I'm like, yes, Tony, you did it. Like, you did it. <laughs> um, but I, I was like, okay, if we go in a different direction, what would Alan Cumming do with this? I think it would be something interesting. I don't think we can just go the same exact root again mm-hmm. we have to do something else and so i pick someone a little bit i mean he frollo's already a little bit like spindly and like but I, I yeah i don't know i want that from alan cumming and i was like okay anything else not this but maybe somebody knows what i'm trying to get at here <laughs> you guys are gonna i think everyone's Go gonna on. Hate this. I, I love the setup for this already <laughs> i don't know why but joaquin phoenix crossed my mind and I think Whoa. it's because, number one, like, I know he can sing. Also, <laughs> I don't know why I'm connecting these two things. I recently watched Mary Magdalene with Joaquin Phoenix and um, Rooney Mara. And I, I know these two things are so unlike, but I just loved Joaquin Phoenix as Jesus. And I'm like, I think you can do anything. So I just, I would like to see the screen test. I'm not sold, but I want to see the screen test for sure. Him in his performance in Gladiator feels very adjacent to this from a much younger yeah. kind of perspective. But like someone who you is like repressed and obsessed. Yes. You put his character from Gladiator with his given circumstances from Quills, where he's the priest oh, that wants to have yes. sex with Kate Winslet, but can't. Boom, there's your Frollo. <gasps> I think it's great. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so it does make sense. Okay, great, great, great. Call him in. <laughs> Joaquin, uh, we're ready for you. We're ready for you in the room. Uh, <laughs> the Phoenix incident. Before the Phoenix. Got, who knows how many Phoenix incidents <laughs> there have been. So <laughs> but each time he rises from the ashes like he his does, namesake, the does. Phoenix. Uh, Amy, Amy Jo, what are, what are your thoughts? What do you got? Well, this being the villain, I have plenty of thoughts. Yes, yes, yes. Love it. Tony J. Great. Similar to my feelings about Quasimodo, it is a relatively unornamented performance. You know, Mm -hmm. like 
the, and the animators also like really did a bang up job. I just the the little like gothic rings, the rings, the rings. <gasps> just like tell me so much. Um, but I think that the vocal performance is great. It's so creepy um, without him ever twirling a mustache you know i have a bunch of different thoughts that would definitely take it in different directions but my first one is uh george sanders who's the voice of Sher khan ooh, who's ooh. one of my favorite actors of all time and the man could sing like you oh if you ever have seen uh uh Oh my gosh, what's the movie with the hostess with the mostess? It's an Ethel Merman vehicle. It'll come to me. Anyway, Call he's, Me Madam? Thank you. Mm-hmm. He's in Call Me mm-hmm. Madam. He's not playing a villain for maybe once in, or not playing a ne'er do well, maybe for like once in his career. But he sings this like he has this gorgeous, lush baritone that would slay in this. So mm-hmm. if this had been made much earlier, I would say like, yes, he's iconic as Shere Khan. Let's also get him for Frollo. Yeah. Um another much earlier choice, Vincent Price. Um, those honeyed tones, the kind of creepiness we can't miss it. I <laughs> love Vinny. He loves Vinny's Vinny. my guy. He Vinny P. Vinny. <laughs> Radigan um, himself. And also, just tossing it out there, a quick plug that Connor, if you have you watched the Vincent Price hosted episode of the Muppet Show? I I'm I've been plugging my way through the Muppet Show, so I haven't gotten mm-hmm. to that one yet. It's the but first it's one we watched, and then we went back to yeah. the beginning. Oh, good times. I'm, I'm good. That's, that's all I'll that's say. Fair. All I'll say. Good times. Good times. Oh, my um, God. Another thought, and this similarly to Vincent Price and George Sanders, is already has an iconic performance, but Jonathan Freeman, who voiced Jafar, yes. come on. That's yeah. a gimme. That's yeah. just yeah. a gimme. Um, and then if this were a comedic villain, um, I could really hear John Lithgow. Um, Tony J in this role to me sounded like a perfect combination of George Sanders and John Lithgow in a way that I was like, oh, wow, I really didn't ever think those two voices would lay on top of one another, but there it is. I love John Lithgow. Yes. It's hard for me not to think of it skewing comedically, Um, although obviously he's a wonderful dramatic actor, but... um, Lithgow does still tend to go broad. Yes. Uh, No, I hear that. So... I I mean, first I gotta say, Tony J was like the voice of my childhood because he is the voice of these these two cartoons lost to the sands of time. He's the main villain of the show Reboot, which was the first computer animated show that I remember. The like the TGIF like sneak preview of this new Saturday morning cartoons coming down the pipeline. I'm like, well, hey now, what do we got going on here as Megabyte? And he is the voice of Virgil, the owl i want to say in the tv series of mighty max those like toys maybe i'm just talking to the, myself no, now i know no, mighty max. it's just such a particular it's so it's era. very very particular but he is in both of those and it's so tony J. It's to me like that voice is so i so 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 iconic to me uh he's, now see, if i had to cast someone else as a I disney all, person I, he's also yeah. monsieur dark from Beauty and the Beast, which like, Mowie. that's just like, whoo, he's played some of the most chilling people in Disney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is why directors Kirk Wise and Gary Trousdale cast him because they loved working with him so much in Beauty and the Beast, which I thought was great. It's like, yeah, because he's only, he's not in Beauty and the Beast long. So it's like, no. let's put that great voice in more than yeah. five minutes of, mm-hmm, of screen time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I could also see Chris, Christopher Lee. I've got Christopher Lee. I've got Alan Rickman written down here. I've got made today. Charles Dance is like top of my list. So a three for three with you, Connor. Wow. Oh, and I'll, my and I'll just gosh. Toss out, 
I'll just add out another actor, much more known on on the stage, uh, but Chuck Cooper. Just thinking of actors yeah. with like Ooh, bass, beautiful bass voices. Tony Award winner. That I want. Just like those great low, low, low bass tones. Oh, wow. um, now, as for actors actually considered, Jarek, Jarek, Derek Jacoby was oh, um, that's great. For I thought you were going to say Derek Jeter, and I was Derek like, Jeter. that can't be right. <laughs> uh, no, it, he uh, his, for his audition he struck out. He did not hit a home run. I'm sorry to say. I see what you did there. Um, is Derek, that the right sport? Derek, I know nothing about sports. I believe he. You is. could be like he plays hockey. I'd be like. Oh. <laughs> uh, Derek Jacoby, however, uh, yes, yeah. MVP of my acting league sports. <laughs> Love Derek Jacobi. In 1996, he was playing Claudius in Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, which is, to me, an iconic mm-hmm. Claudius. Oh, so I yeah. wouldn't, I don't want to lose that. I wouldn't want to lose that. Um, we have now reached the time of the episode to play a quick round of Two Truths and Some Guy. The way it works, two of the following actors were up for the role of Frollo and one was not. Amy, Joe, Caroline, and Connor have to guess which is which. So two of these people were up for the role, one wasn't. Your options are Patrick Stewart, Tim Curry, and Ian McKellen. This is hard, Jeff. <laughs> I know well, Patrick but- Stewart was up for it. I know he was up for it. I'm going to go with Ian McKellen was not because I don't, I think he'd only around this time started doing movies. So I'm going to, I'm just going to throw that out there as my okay. guess. Amy Joe is saying Ian McKellen is some guy. Caroline and Connor, what are what are your thoughts? What what are your guesses? I think Ian Tim McKellen. Curry is some guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, we got one guess, Ian McKellen. One guess, I'm, Tim Curry. What do you think, Connor? Caroline, I am separating from you, and I am going with Amy Joe. I think Ian McKellen. I I think based on Tim Curry, the way that his career was sort of moving with you know the It miniseries and like doing Rocky Horror and then eventually doing Muppet Treasure Island. I think he mm-hmm. was just like very in the Disney, like they're aware of this sort of thing happening. Home Alone too. Um, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I think uh, Ian McKellen was the, was the guy. Well, ding, ding, ding to Caroline. <gasps> as far as I could tell, Tim Curry, not considered for Count Frollo, but wouldn't he be rad? Yes. Yeah. Isn't that what you want? Uh, but Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart both were. And I Look mean, at also, Tony J. He just like, he made it happen against these two. Against titans. the sirs. Yes, he did it. Oh, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and Ian McKellen, because 1985 was hit that Richard III that he started and directed. Oh. So he was kind of like, he was in things, but this was that was like really like, now he's like blowing up. In 1996, Ian McKellen was co-starring in a TV movie about Rasputin with Alan Rickman as Rasputin, <gasps> which is like that. Now, hold on. Is a thing I think I need to watch. <gasps> with like a potential Frollo with someone who I wish was a potential Frollo. Oh, yeah. Plus Rasputin, mm, mm, yes. Mm. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I was obsessed mm, with Rasputin. Mm. Mm, mm. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine, oh my actually Amy Joe Elizabeth yeah. from Look Back in Anger that we worked on together, we talked about how we were like, were you ever kind of obsessed with Rasputin when you were younger? And we were like, yes, I think I loved him. I think oh my all, gosh. Yes, because also Anastasia coming out, like, I know, sacrilege to talk about when we're talking about a Disney film, but that was also young ladies of my generation. I remember going and seeing that 
at a for a birthday party. Yes. And you know, we were like seventh, eighth grade, and everyone being like, um, Dimitri is very hot. <laughs> yeah. And I have heard you all talk about the uh relative uh hotness of various animated men on your show. So I know you understand. Uh-huh. Um but yes, obviously, like you can't for me, you also can't separate Rasputin from Dimitri. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thank you. This went off the rails, but, you know, I think it was important to go there. Uh, As do I. As do I. Uh, So those were all the characters that I found other casting options for, but there are a few characters we didn't mention, so I want to briefly touch on them. I mean, it's primarily our two other other two big leads. We've got uh, Demi Moore as Esmeralda. Uh, Just real quick around the horn. What are our thoughts on Demi Moore? I think she does a fine job. That husky voice, uh, I think, works well for the character. And she did not do her own singing. She apparently met with Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz. And after several singing demos, she said, you'd better get someone else. So they got New York City cabaret singer Heidi Mollenhauer to provide the singing voice for Esmeralda. And, you know, I was before this, uh, last night, I was listening to your Sister Act episode in preparation. um, And you all were talking about voice matching. um, And I think that they found a flawless it's voice really match good. for Demi yes. Moore. Yes. Like totally. Heidi Mollenhauer is just so similar in her singing vocal quality to Demi's speaking voice that I, for the longest time, just can't, I couldn't figure out the distinction between mm-hmm. the two. And mm-hmm. I just think it's so spot on. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also think it was, you know, who knows how much of this was planned based on them then casting her, but like, having that be really her only number and not having her have some big like swagger. Like she's not the one that sings topsy turvy. You know what I mean? I think is very wise because you just, you can kind of get away with in a pop kind of ballad. You can get away with uh, that kind of, yeah. Raspy quality that Demi has when she speaks. I think it, it was a nice match. I think it was very smart songwriting constructing for this film you know oh Mm -hmm. speaking of this is my oh god i'm such a nerd one of my little anecdotes anecdotes about um songwriting and stuff with this film so one of the things that alan menken sort of did overall with the entire score of this movie is base the like just the overall chord progressions of the music around the chord progressions of different hymns so that Mm. every single song sounds like some sort of liturgical music or like a prayer. And it's just, Mm. it's like, you can totally hear it without even knowing that watching it last night. I was like, Oh, he clearly was like building it. And I don't have like extensive musical knowledge with that like area, but I was like, you can totally tell with the way that the chords are shifting. Yeah. He's like basing it on this, like more, um, uh, not ancient, but um, older systems of of music, and it's really smart without being too self conscious about it. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a 1996 score, which no. you sometimes no. will get. You're yeah. like, it doesn't matter that we're set centuries ago. Like this score needs to have a little bit of rap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it needs a bit of hip hop. It needs a bit of funk in this uh, 70s musical that set centuries ago. Uh, I also wanted to just quickly add a chordic. I couldn't get over this uh, trivia. According to media reports, Demi Moore was banned from bringing prawn mayonnaise sandwiches onto the set due to never refrigerating them. Demi. That is the most specific thing. And also, do you have a salmonella wish? <gasps> oh, Demi, no, baby. 
would they try to put them in a refrigerator? And she would go, no, I like them room temp. Like, I don't Maybe understand. Maybe it's also like a smell issue, too. I'm sure yeah, In a tiny recording a studio? Issue. Oh, God. Yeah, oh. and it's going to get hot because there's like no airflow and stuff like that. And it just sits. Ew. And then it's going to smell like prawn for days. It's part of her process. She needs the wafting no. smell of spoiling shellfish. This is oh. ruining Esmeralda like for me. Paris would really have felt, yeah. which is a sewer. <laughs> That's how she gets her husky tones. It's because you got to coat the throat with mayonnaise and prawn. Just <laughs> <laughs> the sound of dying inside. <laughs> She's having a constant low-grade allergic reaction. <laughs> that's it. She's got a mild allergy to shellfish, and that's how she gets that those yeah. amazing Justice! husky quality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, amazing. Uh, and now I got for me, it's saving the best for last. We got Kevin Klein as Phoebus. I, I love it so much. And I love to me that if you just took the look of this character and changed the outfit of how 1990s it looks of this like that shaggy chin hair and the chin beard, yep. this like chin strap he's got, it reads so if you put like a surfer bro voice in him in that face, I'm like, yep, that that tracks that tracks. Yeah. Uh-huh. Backstreet Boys. It's the Backstreet Boys little chin Chin beard, yeah. Totally. I, I yeah. think this was my introduction to Kevin Klein as a child, for sure. Followed shortly thereafter by The Road to El Dorado, where uh, woo, it's yeah. him and the great Kenneth Branagh just raising <laughs> hell in a DreamWorks film. Oh, it's great. Excuse They're me. such a fun duo. Such an <laughs> underrated really like, buddy comedy. <laughs> Yeah, I like they're both just so stupid in that film. It's as someone said, it was like having your film where both the leads would normally be the second banana. You have like two second bananas, both as your leads. Uh, yeah, but yeah, he's great in that too. Yeah, yeah, I think he's great in this. It really helps be, as you said, Jeff. Like, this is not your lead. It's not your protagonist, but it's who the. It's like if you did The Little Mermaid the way the story actually goes in the original Anderson, like it's she doesn't wind up with the guy, you know, yeah. um, and it's sad. Um, but mm-hmm. in this, it's like, OK, well, that's just not the way that it's going to go. So how how do we make sure that he's still likable and that also he's a good match for Esmeralda, who, you know, doesn't shouldn't need just anybody, no. you know, so like it kind of has to be like someone who can be her emotional match which i feel like he is you know the quips the quips are great the delivery of the quips is perfect they got that like han solo princess leia (gasps) yes exactly exactly i was was thinking about like we sell that i was thinking about like if we had a live action version who i would have match up like as the phoebus and the esmeralda i couldn't really put my my finger on who because I need Maybe someone like who can Chris do the comedy. Evans. I, I could I see like Chris that. Evans pulling it off because I mean Chris Evans is funny. Like him and Knives Out. Like I was, yeah. I was dying. But like I was trying to think my Esmeralda, and I had like I I actually I wrote down a couple options actually because I Please, could see yeah. I could see Rosario Dawson doing it easy. Uh-huh. I could mm-hmm, also mm-hmm. see Zoe Saldana because Zoe Saldana can literally do anything. But I could also, and this, this, what really sold me on this was Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald, Zoe Kravitz. Oh, I mean, I'm down for Zoe Kravitz I for anything. I want Zoe Kravitz yeah. in 
every property. I know, I know. Zoe Kravitz, the way that she, like, I've seen her in, like, a bunch of different things. But when I saw her in, you know, arguably a dumpster fire of a movie, Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald, I was like, she is, the, she is the single best part of this. Like, just the, like, way that she just holds herself. It's just, like... Oh my gosh, I was obsessed. I was like, why is she not on the screen for the entire movie? And mm. I I would I think she would kill Esmeralda. That's great. We're we're working our way through High Fidelity, the TV series. I need to start watching is, that all. She is the coolest oh, she's so good. person I've ever seen. <laughs> I was like, I'm not even in the actual room with you. And I'm like, I'm not cool enough to even watch your narrative. Um, but that's like totally the vibe you want for That's what Esmeralda Quasimodo too. feels like, totally. So it's like perfect. <laughs> I am Quasimodo. I think you should be Quasimodo. To- but I, I just I also love the idea of like correct. Zoe Kravitz with this just like very, very typical cookie cutter, like good idealist Captain America type of just like, you know, saltine white guy. And Zoe Kravitz, I feel like that captures a lot of like one of the things that's kind of the sort of like electricity in there where it's like he's he's sort of a blank slate where like she can make him better as opposed to like Mm. usually the relationship is like oh how do we make each other better and and that sort of thing what I really find so intriguing about their relationship is that like he is better by Esmeralda and she does not Mm. need him and Mm -hmm. like that I I feel like the two that sort of pairing would work where like Chris Evans is like yeah make me I, I can be better by being around you like you're gonna rub off on me in a really really good way the one thing I wanted to add about Kevin Klein was according to the commentary on the DVD in order to get him to portray the role, the directors gifted Klein his own sword. <laughs> of course, he <laughs> He's won such a sword. A theater actor, Which that's that, so that nerdy. just feels like so Kevin Klein to me. <laughs> uh, just being like giving him, like offering him more money. Like no, oh no, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't. More money, ah, please, please, your own sword. Well, now you got my attention. <laughs> I could just but I could see, see him, him like, like in the recording booth with it. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. in the booth yeah. with his sword, just like ha 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 ha. Achilles Look, heel. And costumes help so much. Kevin, that is the third mic you have chopped in half. Please, we are, it's only been 30 minutes. We don't have many more mics to go through. We don't have an infinite amount of cables in here. Come on, man. I need more room in this booth for my sword. Now I'm going to think of that when I think of him with his sword in Cyrano de Bergerac. I'm thinking that that's the sword he got for being Phoebus. That's what I'm going to pretend. I'm also just imagining him in the booth with the sword and he's just like, you know, Guys, what would really help me for this moment where I'm interacting with the horse? Could I could I get a horse in here? And then they just like bring it, open the door, and then comes a horse, and he's like, "All right, I'm really feeling it." He's got a sword in one hand and his horse in the other. Acting. Oh, well, that's the cost of getting Kevin Klein for it is. your movie. A sword and a horse. Yeah. Sword and a horse. Uh, so, final thoughts. Anything we haven't touched on? Any other characters or moments in the film? If anyone has anything, I I'd like again in my continuation of deciding to go the most niche on this episode. I went through to look at all the the cast on on IMDb, and I like was looking at all the additional voices, and it is like a who's who of Broadway yes. singers. Mm. So you have Howard McGillen, who played the <gasps> Phantom, I think, longer than anybody else. I love Howard voice. so much. Alex Corey, who's a Broadway staple. Eddie Victoria Corbish. Clark. 
Victoria Clark, Judy Kay, and then Maureen Brennan, who was uh, one of my teachers in college. <gasps> She's also one of the three silly girls in <gasps> Beauty and the Beast. Yes. And she was like Tony nominated for playing Kunaganda in the revival <gasps> of Candide in like, I don't know, the 70s or 80s. But it's oh. like, those are your additional voices. It's oh like, my God. Kunaganda, you know? I mean, when you hear that score, you're like, we need the best of the best on this thing. And it's just I like, I need you the get Phantom. Them. The Phantom. I, I need I the need Phantom to phantom. hold down this court of miracles, baby. Uh, I, I need Vicki Clark's gorgeous Broadway vocals. Like, and these are people who also like Victoria Clark teaches voice. Like, you need people yeah. who are like, I'm a master and I will come in and do probably can, three different parts for you. I can just see her like when he's when he's singing out there and she's just like one of the women down there just like singing. She's like, when Clara was seven. We rented a Shetland <laughs> pony for a birthday. birthday. For a birthday. <laughs> uh, yes, the, the light in the piazza is happening just over, like just out of frame of uh, of, of, of Hunchback of Notre Dame. I didn't know Florence yeah. was so close to Paris. <laughs> Florence and, and Paris, surprisingly close. Surprisingly just a hop, close. skip, and a jump across the river. Yeah. <laughs> I was rewatching this today and I was wearing my brand new, like really, really fancy headphones that I got for Christmas that are Sony and like noise cancel for days. And it's the first time I think I've ever, I've watched the film in a while actually. And I just, I cried so much, especially at the score, but I just kept feeling as I was watching, I'm like, this truly is a singular film from Disney. We will never mm -hmm. see this movie again. Like we will, they will never make this movie again. They'll never make anything that comes close to it anymore. And I'm just like, as I was just watching it, I'm watching it on my little computer and I, my jaw is just dropped at just all of it. I'm, this movie I think is like as close as you can come to perfection in my opinion in in a Disney animated movie of just like all the elements just really, really working together. And so I just want to say thank you, Jeff and Amy Joe, for letting us talk about this yes. because <laughs> this is just such a privilege. Oh, thank you for you so affording welcome. us a reintroduction yes. to it since we're both a little older than you are. <laughs> and, and, so. and that we've only seen it the one time in, in theaters. This was so, I'm so glad that we had an opportunity to revisit it. I do think it is so good. It's, it really is. It's so singular because it is like such, like, honestly, like I don't, Although I do love that those pigeons on Mary Wicks, but ultimately, like I don't need the comedy. Like it's because yeah. really, it is it is a yeah. drama. It's so serious, and it's not in any way slick, which is what a lot and, and not not that that's bad when Disney does that. But like you look mm -hmm. at Hercules right after, I think Hercules is like the pinnacle of slick in a way that works for that. But I think that's much more where they tend to go than something like this. Which yeah, they really sit in the melancholy and just are like, yeah, it's sad to be Quasimodo, and so you should be sad watching this. Yeah, and it, I, I, for the life of me, do not understand how this show has just never made it to Broadway. It's like, wild, yeah. It, it because it's just it's screaming for it. It's, and I think it's one of the things I was talking to Caroline earlier about it. One of the things I just like love about this movie and a lot of like. Victor Hugo's work is that it's really dark. It's really sad, but at its heart, it's just about goodness and people and mm. love. And like, that's what speaks to me 
to from this movie over and over and over again is that you have all these different people. You've got Phoebus, who's like law enforcement. You have Esmeralda, who is an outcast. You have Quasimodo, who is another kind of outcast. And they're all coming at just the problems of how do we love one another? Like, how do we, how do we see one another for who we are at the heart? And I'm just like, it's just so beautiful. It's just so, and it's so good. And I'm like, Oh God, I'm never going to get another movie like this again. Well, if Disney has anything to say about it, they're going to make sure you do with the Josh Gad starring live action hunchback. Uh, until I no come in and I full Tanya Harding, Jeff Galuli, that, that situation. And then I'm like, it's me. I'm the one Yes, you want. watch it's out, me. Josh. So if you yeah. care to find me. Josh Gad, watch your back. I think I'm pretty sure he's actually said that in our apartment. So I, I probably have. We're going to yeah. set up cameras in our new apartment so that we can really document this stuff. I just hope that we get I hope at some point Disney allows kids to step up to the level of the movie. I, I think they still do that to a point like soul. For example, we're dealing with very bigger themes mm-hmm. of who we are and our purpose. That's, I love that. But I don't think in the same way it requires kids to take a few steps up to it and I remember kind of doing that as a kid and like asking my mom a lot of questions literally just about like what like where is Notre Dame like th- like it, and like my mom told me that was a real place and my mind was kind of blown that this thing that was happening in a Disney movie is actually somewhere I could go and it made what me is this burning in his skin that he's talking about yeah <laughs> lots of questions for mom yeah with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I hope that comes back, and I and I think that that will come from adapting some more classical literature or classical material, and I hope Disney does that again someday. I don't know what. Maybe Light in the Piazza, a Disney animated movie. <laughs> oh, Yo, man. Yo, I'm here for it. Oh, man. Fabrizio! <laughs> um, yeah, I think, like, the closest that they've come is Pixar has been mm-hmm. yeah. towing that line, I think, a bit more and taking that mantle on a bit. I mean, Coco... Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I just saying Coco, my throat <laughs> tightened because I'm I like, know. don't start weeping on Mike. Just I like, but really tackling like issues. It's like kids think about death. They oh, don't yeah. necessarily like have the language for a lot of it, but that's like what really good quality entertainment that just happens to include them yes. in the audience mm-hmm. can do. Mm-hmm. And I think that yeah, that's what you're talking about with this, where it's like this is not an easy film, but it's approachable. Mm-hmm. Which I think is, yeah, important. An important part in a in a kid's development and learning what they think about the world and how they make sense of it. Yeah. I just the way it looks is it's like you said, it's not slick. It's so beautiful and rich. And I miss that as well. I'm mm-hmm. I know that that's hand drawn. Um, but I really miss hand drawn and I want more. I want more. All right. So we got to start the recommends by recommending for you, listener, check out Poor Unfortunate Podcast. So Caroline and Connor's pod. Do you want to talk a little bit about it? I think, I mean, I'm sure they've gotten the gist that it it has a little something to do with Disney. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, well, Connor and I met when we were in college. We became friends because someone introduced us and was like, you guys both like Disney. You should be friends. And they were totally right. And, and we were like, oh, okay. And then okay. it took us like another six months before we actually talked to each yeah. other. <laughs> um, but we've had, we, we nonstop talk about Disney at home. That we just, it needed to turn into something productive just to, for, you know, our sanity. Um, <laughs> to justify it. <laughs> to justify it. Um, <laughs> and we have a lot of opinions, a lot of hot takes. Um, so, you know, podcasts. But also, I think, you know, there's a little bit of a, there you know, there there's a lot of groups that are called like, you know, childless millennials of Disney. Because sometimes people our age get some flack for loving Disney, being in the parks, wanting to be online for the rides as well. And so... So we just wanted to connect with more people who feel that way. And we found that there are quite a few and that it's like it's okay, and that there are some very like, you know, adult things that we can really take apart and talk about in this. And there's a place for us in this Disney world as well. Yeah. And that so it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And with, with place four for us in this place for us. <laughs> and with four unfortunate podcasts, we have four formats that we rotate through. We have a rant and a rave uh, where we each take a different thing and we take turns ranting and raving about them we do a showdown where we compare two like things and then we figure out who comes out on top we do tips and tricks and then we do a wild card which usually ends up being some sort of game that we play um which it's it's all a whole lot of fun so we would love for you to to come and join us i'm a fan of your podcast myself i always really enjoy it i i it's very funny because often i will align very strongly with your opinions and then there are times when i can really feel like uh, the age gap and i'm like how dare you (laughs) do that to ursula or whatever you know i'm like okay just because i've played her on the american stage and grew up like with this movie in my blood doesn't mean that they did but how can they have the wrong opinion but anyway you're so you're so fun to listen to and it is a real a real delight um and and so it's so fun to have you both on yeah because i've had you in my ears oh Oh, and likewise for us you're in our ears too Oh my gosh, the Friday, trying to guess what the episode's going to be on Friday has become Oh my God, Connor lives for that. Oh my gosh. I I don't think I'll ever be able to like get one faster than I did with Gone Girl, but I'm going to try. That was tremendous. I'm going to try. Because it's great because I'll, so I'm in charge of the Instagram, so I'll see the results come in and I'll usually like wait on the game to like reveal the winner. You, I think, were the first guest to come in, and most everyone else was like, "I don't know what movie this could be." You're like, "Gone Girl." <laughs> what shit? Gone, Gone Girl. girl. <laughs> I have never been right one time. I'm always so afraid to enter. I'm wrong every single time. I've never been right. It's great. Yeah. If people never got been it, right yet. If people got them yes. all correct, I would not have any content. So, yes. um, you know, I'm thankful for people to be wrong. <laughs> I oh, I love it. Uh, do Caroline and Connor, anything else that you want to recommend? Anything from that you love? Anything from your own lives? This episode's going to drop at the end of May. If there's anything, you know, uh, as we're always so busy in this pandemic, mm. there's so much going on. Uh, anything that if or any a movie, a book, or a pod that you enjoy, if in you got one. Well, I mean, it's it's so directly related to this, but I really do recommend that people listen to the cast recording of the theatrical version of Hunchback, mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot of new fantastic songs. Like, there's one for Quasimodo that's called Made of Stone, and, you know, this made me jump back into that, and so I really recommend people giving that a listen. Excellent. Connor? 
Yeah, I um, have a recommendation. It has nothing to do with Hunchback of Notre Dame. But before we start recording, I lit a candle that I got from our friends at Candles of Tomorrow. It's called the Great Movie Candle, and it smells like popcorn. And it has a wax Mm. figurine of the Great Movie ride in it. So if you are a Disney Uh lover and love park scents and things like that and obscure humor, Candles of Tomorrow, they are like my Mm. go-to fun candle company so Mm. i usually light one when i record something so tonight it's this room smells like popcorn right now and it's kind of hurting so on theme i don't know if it was a good idea but i committed (laughs) oh amazing i wish this room smelled like popcorn right now uh amy joe what are you recommending this week Well, um, the only slight uh, correlation I can make between the film uh, that we just talked about and the one I'm going to recommend is that they both take place in France. Mm. Uh, That's where it ends. I'm going to recommend this 70s French thriller called Le Cirque Rouge, Mm. which stars possibly the most attractive man of all time, Alain Delon. I don't remember starring in Le Cirque Rouge. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you did, Jeff. Oh, oh cool. Uh, Remember, you yes. were under your different name, your stage name. Alain oh, right. Delon. Alain Delon, my um, alter ego. Yves Montand is in it. It's just, it's so highly stylized. I saw it, I saw it in theaters in like 2000 or something when it was reissued, 2000, 2002. And it, it's so good and it, it's so, um, actually so little dialogue really like there's an mm. it's like a heist yeah preparation incredible heist. heist film so there's this entire silent heist sequence it's just like really stunning visual storytelling and uh you know these great french actors so le cercle rouge uh mm. it's criterion it probably streams somewhere but i bought it the dvd back in the early 2000s when that was what yeah. we did live. <laughs> so that's what i'm recommending yeah. love, love it love it uh and i'm gonna recommend i'll actually recommend two things i'll recommend both i because it's coming back tuca and birdie and uh the show undone both of them animated shows that so it connects to the movie because the Love animated because mm-hmm. i of course we, it has it has to connect somehow to the movie <laughs> yes um but they're both both from different uh creators of bojack horseman uh tuca and birdie from the animator and undone is uh created produced by uh ralph bob Waxburg, I believe is the name. Uh, but I feel like this sh- Undone especially got slept on. Tuke and Birdie, so good is on Netflix. Ali Wong, Tiffany Haddish, so fun, so funny. Mm, mm. Undone was on Prime and I feel like nobody heard of it or saw it, uh, which is a much more serious show. It's all rotoscoped uh, that they did. So it's like they ac- did all the scenes. They like filmed it and then animated over. Uh, and it stars Rosa, uh, Rosa Salazar, David Diggs, and Bob Odenkirk. And the short pitch is Salazar plays a woman who finds herself able to travel through time after surviving a car accident. It's really weird, but like blew me away. And I binged the whole thing in about a day and a half. And so that's Undone and also Tuca and Birdie. And that's what we're recommending this week. (laughs) Listener, if you have a movie that you'd love for us to break down the casting of, email us at endalmoststarring at gmail.com and let us know. Gosh, if you'd like to know what movie we're doing next week or just want to see our shenanigans on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at endalmoststarring. And at Instagram, you can try to beat Connor and Caroline Good at luck. our Instagram guessing game every <laughs> Friday if you want to find out what we're doing. Uh, until next time, I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And thanks for joining us to see who almost starred. <laughs>